Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Papers this morning are saying that this balmy weather, if you call it balmy, and I suppose it is for January, will we be brought we'll be brought back down to earth next week when there'll be a Baltic start to February, apparently. At least that's what they're saying. Bammy end to the month, but it won't last. It'll be colder across early uh, February. So much pain and suffering in the world these days, like a jigsaw puzzle at the moment where none of the pieces, no matter what you do, make sense or can be put back together again. And there's a uh, a court appearance yesterday of a young woman who waived her anonymity so that her brother could be named, a cork man who repeatedly raped his young sister, um, derailing her adulthood, uh, sentenced by the judge yesterday to seven years jail. John Paul Hegarty from Little Island, sentenced uh, by the judge in the Central Criminal Court, which was sitting in Cork. Uh, he went on to sexually assault and rape his sister, Nora Hegarty, for years and years. Uh, it ended not because of guilt or remorse, they're saying in the front of the Echo today, but because he feared she might become pregnant. And as they say, she bravely uh, waived her right to anonymity so that her brother uh, could be named. And it dominates the front of the Echo today. And indeed, uh, the Red Tops, the star says, victim speaks out after rapist brother is jailed uh, for seven years. He, destroy- he destroyed my life, my whole ri- life, she says. Uh, and they were born and reared down in uh, the family home in Glanmire in County Cork. She's 35 now, waived her anonymity so that he could be named, but also in a bid to encourage victims um, to come forward. And she wanted her brother to be identified for what he did at a formative age in her life. And of course, we and I wish her well and uh, commend her for her bravery. Um, Ashley Murphy's murder makes the papers again today. There will be um, an 11 a.m. funeral mass this morning uh, as Ashling Murphy is laid to rest. Her sister spoke about her yesterday being the centre of all of their lives and she always will be the centre of all of their lives, but untold grief. So on that basis, 11 o'clock this morning, schools across the country, according to the examiner this morning, will observe a minute's silence as Ashling's friends, families, camogie teammates, cherished pupils of her school will gather to pay their respects in Mount Bolas near Tullamore in County Offaly. And that's at 11 o'clock this morning. Um, Europol have joined the Ashling murder probe, according to this morning's Mirror. The Garda hunt goes on. They still haven't managed to speak to the chief suspect. They say they have, though, made significant progress, but not releasing any specific details about the investigation for operational reasons. So as I say, they've yet to establish a motive and yet to speak to uh, the um, uh, chief suspect, but they hope to do so very, very soon. Um, and the papers this morning are saying uh, that uh, they have received dash cam footage from an ambulance as part of their efforts to trace the movements of Ashling Murphy's evil killer. And they're also uh, hunting for the killer's weapon. She put up um, a very brave fight, uh, apparently, Ashling Murphy, but... Uh, obviously uh, was murdered, as we know. They've taken a bottle bank away now uh, for a deep search there. Imagine they think that perhaps uh, the weapon could be in the bottle bank and on the basis they've taken away, taken it away uh, because we know that a weapon was brandished uh, during the murder, uh, the assault and murder of Ashling Murphy. And meanwhile, up in UCC, they have a brand new program now underway aiming to teach students how to intervene if they witness sexual harassment. And I suppose we could all all do uh, with a program like that, couldn't we, where we should intervene if we see something going on of any way, shape or form, any form of assault. I mean, we dealt with it on the air earlier in the week 
where nobody uh, intervened. And, uh, you know, some people say, oh, I can't get involved in that. It's a man and a woman. It's probably a domestic. But why would that actually make... Why would that actually make a difference? In other news, some awful tragedies, actually. I mean, I hate to be the bringer of such bad news, but there's a story of a mum this morning that makes all the papers. Her name is Sandra O'Brien, and she was at a First Communion, a First Holy Communion party uh, where, you know, the caterers were, were brought in. It was catering food, and she ate cold turkey, probably part of a salad or something like that, and she got salmonella, and she died. And her inquest makes the papers today. After the communion party, she started to feel very unwell. And her husband actually gave evidence of the inquest where he says the next morning, he said, he saw that his wife was asleep and he left for work around at around 6 a.m. He came home at around quarter past three in the afternoon and described finding her still in bed and he knew she was dead as her face was grey and her body was cold to the touch. And the tabloids this morning say mother died after eating a turkey roll. Uh, and died of salmonella poisoning. There is another story, of course. Um, this is also, it's just so tragic when you read stories of people suffering a bad, battling with anorexia. And this is a woman who has suffered severe uh, treatment-resistant anorexia, tried and tried and tried and tried for over 25 years. Uh, and a court has now ruled that she should no longer be force-fed. Uh, and she may die from anorexia, but she should no longer be force-fed, and that's a story from the courts today. In COVID-related news, and unfortunately, it's it's still with us, although it's peaked, it seems to have peaked, and uh, that's got to be a good thing, if nothing else. The amount of cases are way down, and they're saying that many of the COVID restrictions will be gone before the end of January. There'll be a distant memory, never to come back, and hopefully we'll just deal with it like flu or the common cold or other viruses that come and go on a regular basis. So that's interesting. Uh, we've passed the peak um, in, in, in other news this morning, if it wasn't for sad, sad stories like Ashley Murphy's, a story like that would dominate the front of the papers, I would say. But traffic is still well down on pre-COVID le- uh, levels. Bus and rail journeys are way below the level seen in 2019. So not everybody back. But we kind of knew that, didn't we? Uh, in, the, in the UK, of course, I, I have a feeling that uh, Boris Johnson's going to survive all of this. Do you notice that Dominic Cummings just drip, drip, drip leaks stories um, on a continual basis. I mean, he's really got it in for Boris and he's really got it in for the Conservatives. They had a fairly acrimonious and bitter ending. Um, and he keeps on dripping stories about the parties and what uh, the Prime Minister knew or didn't know. And he called him a liar yesterday, saying that um, uh, that uh, Boris Johnson lied to Parliament. Now, that usually is, um, you know, you're straight off the pitch. You get a red card for that. But I have a feeling, I don't know what it is with Boris Johnson. He just... He just seems to survive all of these things. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, nostalgia on the air in recent weeks and wonderful stories from you good people. It's a lovely story in the Examiner this morning where a group have come together now. They're called uh, the Cork Commuter Coalition um, and they want to try and see if it's possible to restore the rail services around West Cork to undo one of Ireland's biggest transport mistakes ever. And I think that could be said not just about West Cork but around the entire country and the rail network that we once had that is now gone. Like West Cork, they say in the Examiner this morning, Own English is a super article on it. West Cork once boasted a massive rail network, four main corridors linking the city to all of the key county towns in mid-Cork, into the harbour and all the way down the southwest coast. It was incredible. And of course, then bigger roads came along and trucks and arctics and motor cars and rail died off, unfortunately. That was the way it was at the time economically. But I think looking back now, 
we could really do with it. I think there'll be good. I just don't know how much of the rail is left anymore. Or the rail corridors is left anymore. Would there be compulsory purchase order needed? Would there be objections and things like that? Um, there's a sad story from the examiner as well. You may know of Lorcan the donkey. I've spoken about Lorcan the donkey over the years because um, he was down. He was down and has been for a lot of his life at the donkey donkey sanctuary in Liscarroll near Mallow, and he had a lovely life, a very happy life. He had a sad start. Uh, but it picked up from when he was taken care of by the donkey saying he's died after 27 years the misfortune and they're all very saddened with that news um, a lot of other court report stories an ingenious way to steal a keg of Guinness makes the echo today it was a guy who has a serious drink problem himself he got a wheelie bin and he put the keg of Guinness into the wheelie bin it had just been delivered to a pub in the early hours of the morning um, and uh, he's got a four month jail sentence for the crime actually pleaded guilty to stealing a 30 litre keg of Guinness putting into uh, um, uh, a wheelie bin and wheeling off with it, rested by Gardy. Four months for that, interesting. And those of you that are getting a bit thin on top um, can take um, consolation that some very famous people have turned their life around by getting transplants. And there's been a huge increase, apparently, in pandemic hair transplants, particularly overseas. Um, and can I mention the likes of Louis Walsh and the actor James Nesbitt, fabulous actor James Nesbitt, Wayne Rooney, Elton John, the Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp um, and others like that have all gone and sorted their life out, put more hair on top in and around four grand, they say, um, for uh, a full... I think it works... It actually it works out at about four euro per follicle or four euro per hair. And so 4,000 follicles are used in an average operation for a full set of hair. So it's big money um, when you multiply it up, depending on how much you want and how thick you want it to be. Um, but there's no curse. They tell you there's a curse in Mayo. Might be a curse on the pitch, but there isn't a curse when it comes to the lotto. It was one castle bar, but they're figuring that the winners, <laughs> they're just going about their business up in castle bar, meeting their friends and relations, going to work, doing whatever they do, not realizing that somewhere at home, there's a 19 million euro lotter ticket. They figure that the winners don't know they won just yet. Uh, papers also this morning say that if you fall asleep watching television, it's very bad for your sleep patterns. Or oh, the research they do these days. They say that hearing strangers' voices, like actors in late night films, uh, interrupts your sleep. But it's okay if it's family members. You can get through the night very well with that. But nodding off in front of the television is a bad idea if you want to be sharp and alert the following morning. The papers also say there's fierce money to be made in Vegas. And apparently Adele now has signed up for a €600,000 a night gig in Vegas. Now she's got a €35,500 suite. That's 35000 a night in Caesar's Palace. That's provided free of charge. She's got a 24-7 butler. She's got free food and drinks signed up as part of a rider for herself and all of her pals at any Caesar's venue in the city. Herself and her pals have just carte blanche, whatever you want. And 24-7 personal casino executives, if any of herself or mates want to go and do a bit of gambling. But her 600 grand a night pales into insignificance when you look at what Rod Stewart was making in Vegas back in 2012. Two, nearly two and a half million per gig Rod Stewart was making. Two and a half million. Bruno Mars, just under a million. Lady Gaga, 837,000. And poor old Elton John was only making 430 grand. Rod Stewart, back in 2012, 2.2 million a gig. And if you love Only Fools and Horses, David Jason wants to come back and star as Del Boy 
one more time. And we would all be up for that, wouldn't we? We really would. Dell, old boy, at the age of 81, he wants to come back and do another episode. It ran from 81 to 91 and then a load of great Christmas specials. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing, though, if only Fools and Horses came back again? If it was just for an hour or two, that'd be fine. Be an awful lot better, lads, if it was an entire series, though, wouldn't it? This one has on the label Maxwell House Coffee. And on this label, it says Oxo Gravy Granules. That's a bit of a giveaway, really, isn't it? Well, I was in an hurry and I got mixed up. I'll mix you up in a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you've made gravy in the coffee, what are they pouring over their dinners in there? This looks lovely. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. Busty. They're only doing it. They're only out there doing it now. They're only pouring Maxwell bleed now. They're loud noise wakes and beds. I don't believe you. Not only have you managed to sink every aircraft carrier and battleship that you've ever sailed on, but now you've gone and knackered a gravy boat. Oh my God, can we play some more, please? Granddad's only gone and made gravy with the Maxwell House. Oh, man. John Sullivan. What an incredible talent. And David Jason, too. Oh, just finally, I mean, I just want to mention this because I like giving little tips and guidance if you like a bit of a movie. And I always love when you guys come back and text me stuff as well. I saw the most incredible film at the weekend. It's called Boiling Point. Do you know Stephen Graham? That unbelievably talented uh, I think he's Liverpoolian. I think he's a Liverpool actor, certainly from that region. He's just made a movie. He's only gone and just made a movie with one television camera, a full cast and one take. He plays the part of a chef whose life is spiralling out of control and it never leaves the restaurant and the camera follows all of the actors all over the restaurant. All sorts of different drama going on. My wife watched it with me, Paula. She hated it. I absolutely loved it. And... Um, the critics seem to love it as well. It's called Boiling Point. If you like that and see what can be done with one one take, it never stops. They start filming and they don't stop until the film is over and that's it. It's done. It's called Boiling Point. It is incredible. It really and truly is. You don't have to be in the trade or the business to appreciate it, but I'm sure anybody working in hospitality will get it. Um, he's totally spiraling out of control and it's well worth watching. It's called Boiling Point. Go for it. The Neil Prenderville Show. As they say on Lee side, Jim Bird the other day, we were talking to Tony Murphy and we were talking about tattoos, so we were. Uh, and we lo- he told the story, he joins me on the phone. Tony, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? I'm just recapping on your behalf. You were telling the story that we live streamed you getting a tattoo of Roy Keane down in Middle Tone uh, some years back. Remember, on the right arm was it? On the left. On the left. Okay. So that was fantastic. And then while we were chatting on Friday, was it, you were talking about the other great Man U hero on Lee's side, Dennis Irwin. That's right. Okay. Okay. And I was wondering, would you be up for getting that tattoo done or would anybody be interested in doing it for you? Yeah? Yeah, I would, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would. What kind of money would you pay if we could got you a discount or got it done on the cheap? Jesus, I don't know, Neil. I'd have to... <laughs> I'd have to How much would it cost one. normally? Oh, well, I haven't a clue. I think the one I have on is, is was at the time, I think, about five or six hundred euros, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, for God's sake, it would be a grand anyway, wouldn't it? 
Today? Yeah, imagine it probably. Oh, would, would be, yeah. Would okay. be are you up for getting, are you up for getting um, Dennis Herman on your right arm? I, I, I would, yeah, but I, I'd be straight now before you reorganise anything. I can't do anything for the next two or three weeks because I'm going away for a week and it's in the sun, so I can't get it done for two weeks anymore. You're going a bit of sun off to the Canaries? I am. Fair play to you, boy. I hope you enjoy every single minute of it. Don't how, worry, how, how do you fancy when you come back getting it done for free? Oh, Jesus, no problem. Job done. Hang on there, so, because Mark is down at the New City Inc. Tattoo Studios in Balancholic. Mark! Morning, Neil. Fair play to you. Thank you. We spoke before. I know we did, didn't we? That's right. We spoke on Friday. Yeah, we spoke on Friday. Thank you for coming back. I hope I didn't force your arm, if you'll pardon the pun. You'll take up the challenge and do it? I would love to, Neil. I specialise in portraits, so I really would enjoy that. And as a man, are you from, uh, are you South African, I think? Yes, that's okay. right. Okay. Did Dennis Irwin's talent reach South Africa? Do you know about him? Well, at, uh, Man United is a very big team in South Africa. They ah, plenty of supporters. Ah, of course. So you know who yeah, he is yeah. and yeah. the likeness that. How how will you do it? Will you use a photograph or what would the deal? How will you make it work? Yeah. So Tony would choose a photo that he likes that he would really like to uh, commemorate Irwin, um, and then uh, I would go go from there. Really, start making a stencil out and a template. And, uh, yeah, place it on and get going from the photo. Yeah. Is that what you did last time, Tony? Uh, yeah, there, there was three or four photographs and uh, we picked one out of, the, out of the three or four and that's the one we went with then, like. And has it faded at all, the keen one? I'll tell you, no, we, um, we were away in September in Lanzarote. Yeah. And like that, I said, I'd like to get the red touched up again, you know? Yeah. And I went in and it, they, they looked at it. And they said, uh, no, it's, it's perfect. Wait another two or three years before you get it touched up. Which God only knows where I'll be in two or three years. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly he couldn't get a tattoo done and go to the son of the Canaries. Sure, he couldn't mark the behavior. No, not at all. No, no. Yeah. Uh, we need a, a good break for it to heal up without the sun, yeah. Okay. And um, do you need to see the keen one to copy the style or anything? No, you'll see it on the day anyway. I can see it on the day, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I mean, you, you, can, you can touch up Kino if you want. <laughs> Absolutely. No problem at all. <laughs> oh, man. Can you still get coloured tattoos with all the ink law changes, though? At the moment, not. We can't do uh, major colour tattoos with anything with blue and green in it. Yeah. Um, but they have released the new inks now so uh, we should be getting those within the next few days thank you so much I know it's going to take a lot of your time um, oh no problem and I know I mean you know you're <laughs> you're running a business so I do appreciate this wonderful free gift and offer to Tony so yeah, it, won't be, it won't be free at all I'll, 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 I'll talk to him when I come out uh, yes, but no I don't want to be putting you under pressure do whatever no, you no, want no, privately no, no. yeah ah, fair play to you well listen work it out yourself Tony alright okay 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 and how long do you how long do you think it might take to do uh, about six hours. All right. So when you come yeah. back from uh, your son holiday, Tony, get yourself sorted with six hours spare. Start the communication and chat with Mark and, and uh, make sure somebody films a little bit of it so we can see it being done, you know? Okay, yeah, we'll get someone to do that. Well done, Mark. Fair play to you, boy. Appreciate no you coming on board. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tony, thanks, have a great yeah, have a great holiday, Tony. Uh, Neil, we'll, we'll Neil, before you go, could I just say something to you? You came on there about intervening in... in, in in disputes between a, a couple, a husband and wife, a yeah. wife and a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, many, many years ago, when I was after dropping my wife, my girlfriend, who was my wife today, back home to Belfiham, we were coming back in. I used to pick up another chap who lived in the north side as well. And yeah. I come back in over Clarksbridge to head in around by the courthouse there onto Liberty Street, you know. And there was this 
when going to say fell in girl, but it could have been husband and wife, and they were he was actually punching the the woman at the, at the time, you know. So we stopped him. We got out of the car and went over and separated him. The girls, no, there was no phones, but the girls came on the scene. But I tell you, I got more of a grueling as to why, what it had to do with me and why we stopped. And the couple actually separated and went their ways. Really? I mean, they want the to, what yeah, did they yeah, want to know from you? Like? Uh, what, had did, what had it to do with me and why did, I, uh, why did I get involved? I said, we're not involved at all. He said, we only stopped to separate him. I said, when, I saw him, when we saw him punching the woman, you know. But um, I was actually only the other day, I was saying it to my wife and my daughter over the weekend, one of my daughters over the weekend. And I said, Jesus, I'd have to think twice about intervening on something like that. But I suppose, and I suppose you would. If you did see it, you would automatically kick, kick in and and um, yeah. and intervene. You but know? you see, maybe but that's the reason why people don't all the time. Just what you're describing. Guards came along and you got the Oh, yeah, we were the, the, grilling. Like, the couple were well gone and we were still held there. And, they, you know, why did we stop? Or what did it do with us? And all this kind of carry on, you know. For I know there was a, I, I was shocked actually because there was actually a guard and a bang guard. So I thought it's kind of a weird response, here. isn't it? It was, it was. You didn't yeah. get it. Then you didn't get a caution or anything. They just no, made no, no, no. But I felt at the time like that we were going to end up in the rival for the night. It was that bad. Oh, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Like over to the calendar, we're looking at the lights and the tax and the insurance and the whole lot. You know, but ah, that's a bit over the top. Oh, yeah, but like. You know, I said to myself, Jesus, I wouldn't. At the time, I said, Jesus, I never intervene again. But um, I suppose if it, if you did come across it, you probably would. You know. Oh my God, I can understand why people. Yeah, and when 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 you intervened, um, did you drag him off her or something? Ah, uh, yeah, we pulled pulled him apart. Like, but he was after giving another good few um, good few punches at that stage. Now we don't know how long it was going on before we came around the corner. Oh. It was just there by the. I think it's the. Courthouse Tavern at the Liberty Bear one of them. And when the guards it. came along, I mean, did she did she have injuries? Was she bleeding? Well, I, no, I don't think she was bleeding. But I said, I said the next morning she had plenty of uh, of marks. You know, and did the guards didn't of, ask whether she wanted oh, no, him arrested no, or taken no, away? No, nothing no, no. Like they right. kind of get one guard went with them and started talking to him. They went their separate ways, and then as much as we ended up spending a bit of time being questioned and unbelievable tax and insurance. That's oh yeah, a bit over the top. But um, no, I was only saying it to my daughter over the weekend. We regarding this 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 teacher, you know, it's it's why it's don't like. yeah, that's a, well. Your story is an example as to why people sometimes don't intervene. Anyway, Tony, thanks for that Neil, story. Appreciate. Listen, talk to you after you get back from your house. Have a great time. All right. Thanks a lot, Neil. Take care. Bye bye. Cheers, pal. Nice bye bye. Take bye-bye. care, Tony Murphy. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. All right, the great Kim Barry sent me on rules of the game from way back in the day. We were talking about the days when, and you see it's still kids playing soccer on the green or what have you. Sometimes it's encouraged, sometimes it's not. Sadly, sometimes green areas are filled with trees just to stop kids playing soccer, but that's another story. But the rules of football, the rules of engagement from way back in the day when people played on the street or in alleyways or up against walls. Um, and there's, uh, there are 10 rules back then, and I think we can all relate to most of them. The F word is used in one of them, so I've been told stop using that word. So let's say the lar- number one, the largest kid was always in goal, which isn't altogether true because I was a thin, spindly kid, but I was a lot of the time in goal because probably better in goal. But the largest kid usually was the one that was in goal. Number two, the person whose ball it is decides who plays. There was fierce power in owning the ball. Number three, penalties are only awarded if there's a broken leg. 
Number four, the match only ends when the person whose ball it has is uh, has to go in for their dinner. Number five, even if your team is winning 29-0, the winner is always determined by next goal wins. <laughs> the 29 count for nothing. It's next goal wins. Number six, no referee ever. Number seven, if nobody has a football, a can will do. Particularly, it wouldn't work on the green area, but it certainly would work on the road or in an alleyway. Uh, number eight, if you were picked last, you had no hope in life. Picked last, no hope in the rest of your life. Number nine, whoever kicked it over the fence gets it. And number ten, getting the ball stuck under a car is the most stressful part of life. For a kid anyway. And trying to retrieve it. Thanks for that, Kieran. I love those kind of uh, anecdotes and stories. The street football rules as a kid. There are ten of them. I think we can relate to all of those. Happy birthday to the great Callum Power Morrissey in Redemption Road. He's a soccer mad lad and he's eight years old today. So happy birthday, Callum. Lots of love from your mum, Sarah, dad, John, Paul, sister, Katie, and all the family. I hear you're a big fan of the show as well. So you also have great taste. Have a great day, Callum. You're the greatest, my friend. You're the greatest. Lines are open. You can text 0868104106. From last week, we dealt with uh, rental and we dealt with house sales. And we looked at different regions in the city, suburbs, satellite towns, and around the county to see where we could find the dearest three-bedroom semi. It turned out to be in the Beaumont area. Um, and you're looking at over 500,000, sometimes with an awful lot of work to be done. Then we were looking at rental prices. But one particular area that we touched on then were the hidden costs when it comes to buying a house. All right. So I wanted to come back to that because I ran out of time uh, on front Thursday and Friday's program. We were contacted by Auctioneera. Okay, it's a company on lease side. And it's kind of, it's a different way at looking at fees because you buy a house, right? Then you have to pay fees. If you sell a house, um, you have to pay even more fees because the auctioneer uh, takes, um, you know, a, a slice of the uh, the sale price. For the buyer, of course, it's more likely to be the likes of, um, you know, lawyers' fees and solicitors' fees and stuff like that. But with regards to selling, there's a lot of difference out there, uh, and you need to kind of shop around as best you can to find out what kind of fees the auctioneer is going to charge, and also. Find out what kind of fees your solicitor is going to charge. They, they can be very vague and they'd say that it depends on all of the work and they can never really say, but they are obliged by law to give you, um, for anything that a solicitor does now, has to give you a price in advance. So uh, that's worth noting. Same with, with auctioneers. Eddie O'Driscoll is director of auctioneer. joins me by phone. Eddie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks uh, for having me on. What's, what's different about how your model and how you approach it? Well, I guess the the main reason we, we do a number of things differently, but I guess the main reason or the main difference is the price point that we charge the sellers. So if you take the 500,000 euro property that you're referring to there, the three bedroom semis in Beaumont, Bla- uh, Beaumont Black Rock area. So one of the things that I, I think the reason that I called in, I think that doesn't get enough airtime is that you'll be amazed that the, the average industry fee there to sell that property is typically about 1.5% or even up to 2%. But your 2% to that is 10 grand. It, it, yeah, it's, 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 but that's, that's excluding VAT, so it's, it's 10,000 plus VAT to be 12 and, a, 12 and a bit, and they'll charge marketing on top of that. So it's just surprising um, that, I guess, it's gone on as long as it has gone on, essentially. I mean, the reason that... I started auctioneer was um, my parents would have had a few properties over the years they were selling. 
And I guess when you read the, the small print, the one and a half, the one percent, it sounds innocuous enough, you know, just on the face of it, one percent doesn't sound too bad or two percent. Um, but when you multiply it by the price of the property, um, it just it, it, it's an egregious fee. I'll give you another example. We were selling but, you, but, but just on that point, before you go for example, you can you can argue the toss down though, can't you? You can get you know somebody says one and a half percent, you could say, yeah. listen, no, I'll, I'll give you one percent, or I'll give you four grand instead of ten grand. Would they be inclined to do a deal? Well. Interesting enough, I have I didn't find that myself in that I called around when I was looking to, to sell some properties and I just got one and a half percent across the board. I actually didn't even really agree with the concept of, of a percentage in that if if like ultimately our contention it's that the the bidders and the market values the property. So that's why we um started auctioneering and it's a fixed fee so it's we, we charge our vendors a fixed fee to sell their property so it's 1700 euro plus fat the number one question we get is well look what's the catch there and and there isn't any catch in, in that and um, we provide full best in class and um, no compromise state agency service 1700 euro plus fat includes everything that you need to sell your property so great photography you're assigned um, an experienced licensed estate agent so it's Fiona Waldron is our Cork agent very experienced agent she's on hand throughout the entire sales process get the property on that get it on my home get the viewings going the other thing that we do is that's a bit differently so so obviously we're focused on getting the, the vendors the very best price for the property and doing that in, in, in the context of um, a market leading fee but also from from the buyer's point of view, one of the things that from speaking to buyers that they found very frustrating was getting phone calls back from from an estate agent saying that look we've now gone to four four two or four four three um, in, in terms of the bidding and that's a very I've been in that position myself very difficult position to be in not to cast any aspersions on, on any estate agent but you're getting a phone call on an offline manner from someone who has a clear incentive I guess to get the, the, the price higher and they're, they're saying that the, there's a new bid in here and you're, you're essentially having to, to trust that. I think there's a statistic. I don't follow you. Surely somebody selling a house would be delighted to hear that there's a higher bid in. I'm, I'm saying when you're on the buy side, when, when, you're, when you're buying, we no, say oh, that you're well, you, you think that it mightn't be true? Well, I've, <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that because in fairness, we, we are um, a regulated industry, but there is a statistic I read that 30% of people do believe that ghost bidding exists. And what but we do you, but you, no, you, I mean, you brought it up. Do you do you believe yeah. it? Um, I, I've, I I found myself uncomfortable when I was in that position, um, when I was getting that phone call offline. Um, so, and then what I found is that I was minded to just exit the bidding because I, I just I I couldn't give that level of, of of trust. So I actually pulled out of the bidding, um, and and we hear that anecdotally that. And, and this is the interesting thing because some estate agents will say, "Well, look, because I'm on a percentage, because I'll charge you ten and twelve thousand euro to, to sell the property, I'll get you the the best price." But and because auctioneera has such a you know great fee, yeah, and they, they won't. But they, they, but that's unethical. Person. I mean, uh, there are laws and rules against that when it comes to say sure. accountants, and there are laws and rules against that kind of carry yeah. on with regards to solicitors. Are there any kind of? It's unethical for an auctioneer to do that. Can they it, be brought it, to task? It, 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 oh, for sure, absolutely. I mean, look, we're regulated by by the PSRA, but but I guess in terms of the, the our solution to it, like what we want to do, is to give buyers 
total 100% trust in the bidding process because if they have trust in the bidding process then they can like from my point of view if I could have totally trust the bidding process I probably would, would have went that, that bit higher so we just want to take that off the table that you can trust auctioneer you can trust the bidding so the simplest way of doing that is to put all of the, the bids online um, in order to make so if you go on to the website there at the moment auctioneer.ie you can go on properties for sale and we have all of the latest offers on all of our properties actually up. Okay, but when you say you have all of the website. offers, are the are the bidders identified? Uh, absolutely. So in order to so in order to really? an offer on one of our properties, you need to attend a viewing. We need to meet you at the viewing, and then when we meet you at the viewing, we'll give you a, a unique property ID for that particular property. So when you go online, you'll be asked for that ID, and by virtue of the fact that you have it. We've met you. We 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 have you on file now. There's there's debate back and forth as to whether or not we should be asking for proof of funds at that point, and we've 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 gone back and forth on that. So we 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 used to insist on proof of funds in order to make an offer. Some agents do. Some agents. There's no obligation on you to do it either way. The one thing you can't do is look for proof of funds to to um, attend a viewing. There was there was an estate agency that was was doing that. You might have seen it in in the media and. No, I didn't uh, see that, but I think by and large, estate agents do ask for proof of funds at bidding. At bidding, yeah. The, the pushback that we get on that is that the, the bidders will say that they're being asked to show their hand, um, they've been asked to show their hand while the bidding is, is, is ongoing, and they're, again, they're uncomfortable with it. So what, our compromise on that is that, look, we're, we're happy to take a bid in good faith from someone who's been okay. out to, to see the property, okay. but we will, of course, verify proof of funds before we move to... Okay, to I, just, I just want to clarify here a point you said, that um, everybody who puts a bid is put up mm-hmm. online and you see the yes. bids as they climb, and you say they're identified as well. Well, they're identified on, on, on our system, and they're not identified publicly on, on, on the website. I mean, so we can log in as auctioneer, obviously we've, we've met them, we know who they are, but they're not identified on, on the website. You can just see the, the, the current okay. offer on the website. And there's no time at all where a law would be imposed where, where people who are bidding for a house and it gets down to, you know, from a dozen down to three or two and then one person, that the other bidders would ever know how much was paid and, and, um, and uh, proof, I, I, proof I guess, of that number. That- guess that kind of already exists the, the property price register th- fulfills that function so anybody can go on to propertypriceregister.ie and you can search for any property that has sold and the actual sold price is in there it's a matter of, of public record so that exists and that transparency is very important okay. and i guess if you are on the the property price register just as an aside um, and to go back to the, the trust that we give to buyers, one of the properties we sold in Rossbrook, you can search for Rossbrook, see the property in there, 483,000 euros, what it sold for. We charged that vendor uh, 1,700 plus fat, so they walked away with, um, call it 481,000 euros. It's, it's a matter of public record, you can see it on, on okay. the register. Okay. Because um, it does, it does. I mean, no disrespect to auctioneers, but maybe or estate agents, but maybe things should change and change rapidly. Because I can't understand why there's probably the same work involved in selling a two hundred and fifty thousand euro house as there is to sell a five hundred thousand house. But there's twice the fee. It, I couldn't have put it better. I mean, that that's that's exactly. And also, no disrespect to you, but Daft does most of the heavy lifting, right? Yeah, I have. I, I agree for the most part. Now, look, I, I wouldn't um, undermine totally that you, you do need um, an experienced um, professional estate agent monitoring and handling the process. But there's no getting away that, that Daft in my home does the heavy lifting in terms of 
it, what our job is in the first instance is to provide the the, the vendor with um, what we call an AMV advised market value. So we'll have done. Okay, but you put a value on it. You get your hands yeah, on the that's, key. That's, that's opinion, you open yeah. you open the you open the door, and mm. prospective buyers walk through it. And it's kind of yeah. that, that's kind of it, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and you, you need to get good photography. That's kind of you open the door, and then you manage the bidding process, and then you verify proof of funds. So I, I, I agree. I agree with you. Daft does the heavy lifting. I totally agree. So if if Daft does the heavy lifting, and I'm agreeing with you that you need to take good photography, you give an opinion. So it's it's very often called evaluation. It's an opinion. The the, the only opinion that matters is the highest bidder's Come opinion. Yeah, yeah. At, at the end of it, they value the property. But then I suppose the question that I would have is that there was another property that was subsequently, which was disappointing to us a couple of months later, listed in, in Rossbrook with what we call the high fee estate agents, four hundred uh, sold for €480,000, so 3000 less, and directly comparable properties sold within a couple of weeks of each other. And that vendor, now I'm, I'm hypothesising, but I'd be fairly sure that they'd have paid one and a half, maybe even 2%, so they'd have paid nearly nine grand, ten thousand euro. You know, once once you add the VAT, so I guess what what we're how quickly how quickly is it taking now for that yeah. maybe nine grand in fees to actually sell a house? You're talking weeks because I, I suppose no, I suppose there's two parts to it. There's getting to sale agrees, and then once you get to sale agreed, you, you hand it over to to the solicitors and and look that that. I mean, there, there was a saying I heard recently is that it would be progress if you could bring some solicitors into the 19th century, let alone the, the 21st century. Yeah, it just takes so long by comparison to the rest of the world, um, you know, closing sales here. Yeah. Is it solicitors drag their feet? What's going on? Um, <laughs> or is it? Because I've asked solicitors this and they said, it, we would be faster if everything was digitalized, but we need paper copies of everything and it slows everything down. We're just drowning in paperwork. Yeah. Yeah, look, we, 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 we could talk for, for a long time about the, the, the issues with, with convincing. Look, there are very good solicitors. One in Cork that I would mention, mention is Ronan Enright Solicitors. I mean, he's very efficient, so we try and work with good And then what charge would the solicitor impose then on the purchase or the sale of a house? Yeah, you're, you're looking at, at, again, in the region of, of 1,500 to 2,000 euro plus VAT that sort of, of territory. And again, we'd speak to solicitors on, on, on a daily basis. Okay. And they are, in, in my opinion, rightly aggrieved that you know they're taking control of the legal part of the process and getting, take the, the property in Ross. Again, the, the solicitor that sells that, sells that, will, that, that manages the legals on that will charge 1500 to... to, to and uh, the auctioneer's pocketed nearly 10 grand. To, you know, and, and you could argue which is the, the, the more skilled... Job. So look, our key point. Well, the auctioneer would say, if I never sold it, you'd never get your two grand. Yeah. Well, what I would say is sell it with auctioneer.e and you'll pay, you know, okay. um, and how, 1700 plus. Value. How do fellow estate agents feel about your uh, bargain basement price? Look, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I presume they're 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 not overly enamoured with us. But look, that that's not our concern. <laughs> our, our concern is that you don't fellas, you don't people thing. snubbing you on the mall or anything, no. Um, I, 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 <laughs> they might, um, but you look at that—that's the, the cut and trust the business, and and we're up for that. I mean, look, who we're concerned is is is, is vendors like my parents when they were selling their property. I mean, they didn't know any better. You know, someone showed up with a suit and tie and looked for one and a half percent, and and they just you know were going to sign on, on on the dotted line until I protested vigorously <laughs> that, that we weren't going to to pay what I deemed to be an egregious fee. So yeah, look, and you can still make a profit on the sixteen hundred sixteen ninety nine. 
Ab- absolutely, because again, I, I think you you put it quite well. And again, look, I don't, definitely don't want to, to in any way um, denigrate the, the estate agency profession because it is a really important job. I mean, if, if Fiona Waldron is assigned to your property, you're going to get an experienced, licensed, Ah, uh, yeah, but I, I, I no disrespect. I know that. And good for her. But you get that. You get that anyway. They're all licensed, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely, all licensed. But, but the point I'm making is that, or the point that you made and that I'm concurring with, is, is that that does the heavy lifting. I mean, look, what we're due to do there to do is to open the door to to give all of the information about the property, and crucially, to give the buyers trust in the bidding. Okay. So we need to. You know where you get the. You know where you get the ultimate. You know where you get the ultimate. Yeah, but just to answer the question, I mean, yes, we we make a reasonable margin on a competitive fee, but we don't make you know I go I mean char- charging ten k plus to, to to sell a property. It's an eye watering fee. It is. It is an eye watering. What what would happen if somebody decided to sell their own house? They'd have no fees then, apart from the solicitor. Yeah, and, and that that was the road we initially went down, and it was something that I'd have been minded to do myself to say, look, I'll do it myself, but. So when I added up, okay, so I need to get a listing on, on Daft and that'll cost me a couple of hundred euro and then I have to get photography and then I'll have to do the viewings myself. So I'll be busy at work. So um, I didn't reckon I'd save that much. Maybe not with myself. you, but if it's mm-hmm. nine or ten grand for a decent property, you'd save an awful lot if you bought your own Daft ad, if you took your own photographs, if you set aside times yeah. for the but, viewings. But, but, yeah, you, you would, too, first off, I, I'd say you're probably better off just coming with us because people are, are working, you know, they, they don't want to be coming out to do, to do viewings. Um, so, if, if you're benchmarking it against the, the 10k of the high fee agents, yeah, do I think yourself, you have to yeah, do it yourself. Yeah. That would be. But, but the one thing that you'd run into there, you run into the same issue with the, the the lack of trust in the bidding. So let's suppose you were bidding on 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 a property, my my house that I was selling, Neil, and I called you back and I said, look, I'm going to four four six now. Well, whatever about believing an estate agent, you sure as hell ain't going to believe me because you know I, like, I'm not licensed. So, so I think you'd have to be doing yourself a disservice. What auctioneera does uh, uh, is that we give total confidence in the bidding, and and that that's to the benefit of of the buyers, but equally to the vendors because it means that people can can bid aggressively on the property, knowing that there's a transparent regulated system underpinning the bidding. So gotcha. Well, it's, I, good to I, use I the, it's good to use the word aggressive because it's good to have aggressive pricing and you're driving that forward and maybe others will follow. But right mm. now you seem to have that kind of area of the market uh, mm. captured. That's your online, isn't it? Auctioneera.ie. Auctioneera, Auctioneera with two E's.ie. But, but, okay. but, 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 and just to clarify, like, we're not an, an online estate agency. Anybody who's interested in selling a property with ourselves, and we'd love to, to hear from them, they can go to the website auctioneera.ie. And we'd set up an appointment and we go out, we meet you at the property, we give you an S, we give you that, that AMV, that advised market value. So we're, we're, we're a, a regular estate agent, if you want to put it that way. We, we use the internet. Why don't we, why don't we see if we can, let me, why don't we see if that works, um, what you're promising here on air? So you, you know, they've given you quite an amount of airtime and it's a reasonable amount and, of airtime. Thanks very much. Yeah. yeah. What, if, what if I, what if I were to send um, somebody who's selling a house and uh, you sell the house for them free of charge in return? Yeah, and we, we see, and we we see we, how they get on and, we, and we'll chat with them along the process. Let's let's do it. We're a hundred percent up for that. Look, we just want to get the message out there, and you guys are helping us do that. So look, okay. we put our best. Okay, we just want to see how effective that. and efficient it can be let's, at a fraction of the price. We'll 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 uh, 
we'll put our money where our mouth is on that. We'll show that that's um, that that we can. It can be done. It. All right, Eddie. Talk soon. We'll be back to you with uh, further details on that one. All right. Cheers. Thanks for now. Much appreciated, Neil. Thanks, Eddie O'Driscoll, uh, auctioneer and director of uh, WW. Well, auctioneera, and you can find them at uh, www.auctioneera.ie. Just before midday today, we'll open the phone line. Anybody, anybody selling their house right now at the moment, thinking of selling their house and looking for an auctioneer to sell it? Just hold that thought. We'll open the phone lines just before midday and somebody will win free auctioneering on the sale of your house just before midday. And then we'll follow it through. See how comfortable and seamless it is. All right, back after the break. Neil's got a new number. Call him now on 0818104106. Great people up at St. Killian School. We dealt with them on the air over the years and even up to recently. But there's a big ball. I love hearing about balls and get-togethers and big dinner dances happening. And there is one on the 5th of March. It's a Saturday night. Thank you for getting in touch, Suzanne. Great to hear from you again. And she is doing the Blossom Ball in aid of St. Killian's School. It's Saturday the 5th of March. It's at the Rochestown Park Hotel. We'll be in a much better place by the 5th of March, says he with fingers crossed. It's a four-course meal and tickets. And tickets are €55. Euro. Um, and I will give out details as to how you can get your hands on those tickets. But if you're involved in St. Killian's School itself, you can buy from the school. Uh, and I'll give out uh, Suzanne's number as well. It's 85 228 085-228-3302 Be a great night out at the Roadstown Park Hotel Food is very good uh, And um, she sent me a lovely letter So I just want to say thanks uh, In Over the last 10 years of doing fundraisers For all of the different charities You and the team have made it so easy for us You've helped us along the way with all of the events I've had And of course, if it wasn't for the people of Cork And their support, none of it would be possible Heartfelt thanks from Suzanne So that's on the 5th of March. It's a Saturday night at Rochester Park Hotel. You can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106 and we're back after 10. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show And by email, morning Neil, I'm devastated about the tragic death of Ashling Murphy and she will be in my thoughts and has been since her unimaginable death I will pause myself at 11 this morning during the time of her funeral but I'm relieved to receive an email from my daughter's school that they will not be asking the children to observe a minute's silence at 11am My child, you see, is only 6 I have made sure to shield her from this tragedy over the past week, as although I know this is sadly the reality of the terrifying world we live in, but I feel it's not something she, my daughter at six, needs to be worrying about and feel that if she's been, if she'd been asked to observe the minute silence today, it would have caused her undue stress and anxiety. I'm very grateful to my child's school for protecting the welfare of our precious children and their delicate and carefree existence. Uh, thank you for that, Mary. For those reasons, she will not um, be, um, well, she herself will pause at 11 o'clock, but the school that her daughter attends, the um, primary school, will not. In fact, I got a copy of it then. She sent it to me. It says, you're probably aware there's been a huge public outpouring of grief. This is from uh, the principal, I guess. Um, there's been a huge public outpouring of grief, sorrow and compassion for Ashley Murphy, whose life was ended so tragically last week. The Teachers Union have asked all schools to observe a minute, a minute of silence in schools around the country today at 11 a.m. We feel here in school that doing so may add to the anxiety of a lot of children um, who are, you know, a lot of children coping with what they're coping with at the, at the moment. Therefore, we will not observe the minute of silence, but we urge you to talk to your child 
and children instead, if you so deem appropriate this evening. We have posted a candle of remembrance on behalf of the school on our Twitter account. And that's from, uh, um, I think that's probably down in, it's Riverstown National School who have posted that saying that they won't be observing it um, because they don't want to increase children's anxiety with all that they're coping with. I wonder if, if, if that is the case in other, in other schools. I mean, I think if they are, it poss- if there are some not observing the 11 o'clock a moment of silence, minute of silence. It possibly would be primary schools considering the children's age. But I would like to hear text 0868 104 106. An awful lot of texts still coming in, a huge outpouring of grief. Um, I believe there's a total, mind you, it's interesting people's take on it. I think there's a total oversaturation of coverage of, by all forms of media regarding the latest horrific murder. Grief is a private and personal thing, and I believe the family should be allowed to grieve in private. We know what happened. All we need to know next is who is guilty and the sentence they get instead of constant daily coverage, most of which is just speculation. People should leave the family in peace, says Anthony. Uh, if we tell guys to stop or call them out on it, we are then known, are we, are we then known as not up for a laugh? Are we then known as having no sense of humor? Are we then known as a prude? Uh, it becomes us with the problem. Uh, not the guys. No, I mean, that's obviously written by a woman. No, you're not. You're none of those things. You are just calling it out as it should be called out and everybody needs to intervene. One final one. This is a hard subject to talk about, but women kill men too. There's a lot of men after committing suicide because of women. Women need to stop playing head games with guys. Both men and women have to really start behaving. It's not just men. One of my friends is being beaten up by his partner and she's been doing this to him for a while and he has nowhere to turn. It is happening and can happen on both sides. Text 0868104106. We'll pick it up after the ad break with a, a harrowing conversation after these. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Amy, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? I'm well, and thank you so much for taking the call. It's not an easy conversation for you um, because it will involve revisiting events in your life. But um, much of it, of course, um, and the reason you reached out to me in the first place was because of the horrific murder of uh, Ashling Murphy and the outpouring of grief and sympathy and anger as well right across the country. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Um, And your life has changed and it's never been the same since you were horrifically attacked back in 2014. How comfortable are you sharing that story with me? Um, like, yeah, uh, uh, as I mentioned, like, um, it, it is something that, that's always in my mind, like, throughout, you know, anywhere I'm going, I, I'm always cautious. I'm always kind of looking around. I'm a lot more aware of my surroundings, you know, and if, if, if there was a person walking near me, I, I'd stop, wait for them to pass. I know, I know. And why wouldn't you when you consider what happened? This was an, an, just after a night out in the city, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so I, I was out in Cork City. Um, we would gone out for drinks and I, I was dating um, a guy at the time. Um, it was a relatively um, new dating. I think it was just under two months. Um, that we would have been dating and we went for a night out um, and during the night he, he kind of got a bit aggressive um, in the nightclub and there was two guys kind of stood in and intervened. It, it, it came out of nowhere and the bouncers actually ended up removing him um, 
from the nightclub. So I I stayed there because there was no point in, in me leaving and him, you know, being aggravated, whatever was going on. Yeah. Um, and I ended up traveling back about half an hour after. Um, there was another woman in the house present at the time. Yeah. So we, we went into a room, just the two of us, and he stood up in front of me um, and he he said something to me and just started throwing fists, blows repeatedly um, into my face. So he angrily confronted you in the room. Yeah. Um, jumped up and then started beating you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, then he was <clears throat> he was strangling me. Um, full force like everything I remember just looking forward and I could see all these little dots as if I was almost like losing consciousness oh God. Um, and the, the woman that was there burst into the room and I just remember her screaming what are you doing and she she pulled him off me um, and then he he knocked that woman to the ground and started dumping her into the into the head um repeated blows again then he turned back on me and got angry at me because he had just assaulted the other woman yeah and started attacking me again so this went on it was over 3 hours that i was just getting beat in inside this room uh, i was reading um, i was reading the court reports amy um and I don't mean to upset you, and you described with what happened with the guys to being choked and feeling as if you were going to pass out. Um, it's The court report says that he grabbed you by the neck, repeatedly punched you, knocked you to the ground, prevented you from fleeing the house. His blows were so violent that you were left with a mixture of blood and tears flowing from one eye. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it went on for three hours. Yeah. To, uh, he so he he eventually left me go to the bathroom, and the bathroom window was so small it was just tiny. I tried my best to fit out it and I couldn't. Um, I ended up calling the guards. I had like two percent battery on on my phone. I rang. I told them where I was, um, and I said, "Can you please come get me? Um, this is where I am." this is the person that's attacking me. I'm going to be killed. Please come get me. With that, he came knocking on the door and he asked, um, who, who was I talking to? I was like, nobody, nobody, nobody. At that point, my phone had died. Yeah. So I was like, look, my, my phone is dead. Um, he started punching me again and he ended up actually knocking me unconscious. So, um, oh, sorry, I actually, I left out. Um, when I went back into the room, uh, so I, I came out of the bathroom and I went back into the room and he had left the room. He was in the hallway yeah. um, threatening the woman. And I said, oh my God, I have to get out of here. I'm going to be killed. I ended up opening a, a window in the room where I was jumping out the window but just as I jumped out the window he walked back into the room and ended up bolting out the front door and caught me and dragged me back into the house 
so then that's why he started beating me again because I tried to run away and I woke up the next morning he was asleep beside me so this was after he eventually knocked me out um, he was asleep beside me and I, I walked out I left and he had actually tried to steal my car that night as well so the door in my car was open, the light was on in the car. I was there going, oh my God, please don't be dead because oh, the, the, the property we were at was in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I got out of there. Can I just, I, I hate interrupting because I know it's so upsetting for you. But you said yeah. you went into the bathroom and you, you, you rang 999 at one stage. You, did you actually speak to a guard? I I spoke. I I honestly I don't remember who remember. it was. Trying to think back, I just remember ringing emergency services. Saying, and this d- is where and I did am. Did you tell Please. them? You told them where you were. You told them words along the lines of, "He's going to kill me." Yeah. But are you telling me that nobody nobody showed up to that emergency call? So what I found out afterwards, and this was from the woman, she was checking in on me like a day later. Um. She called to check in. Um, She said after he had knocked me out and he fell asleep himself, um, there was big electric gates at the front of the house. She said the buzzer rang for the electric gate for somebody being outside. And she picked up the, the phone inside. Nobody identified themselves. They said nothing. There was no blue lights on. I had told them I was going to be killed. And they drove away and they left me inside that house. Did you did you give evidence in court subsequent to all of this? The, my I I was so I was so um Traumatized. I was just, I was all, exactly, thank you. I was so traumatized from it. Um my dad was furious. Um, my dad was like, I want answers. My daughter almost died. My daughter could have been killed and ye left her there. Did he say this um, in court? My my dad said that to the, the guards. There ended up being like um, the, 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 the inspector all got involved in this. Um, and did they say... I know I'm. I know I'm jumping around a bit, and, and I apologise for that. But did they say that they did turn up and drove drove away? Yeah, yeah. They 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 admitted that to my dad. Amy, that is awful. Did the okay. like I okay. Okay. I I think like that outcome could have been so much worse. Like if he had woken up first in the morning, you know, I. I look back thinking I might not have been here today. Okay, okay. Did the car start that morning when you got out to it? Yes, yes, it did. I never drove so fast anywhere. Um, I passed so many guard stations. I, I just, I didn't want to stop anywhere. I just wanted to get back to my hometown where I knew I would be safe. I was terrified if I stopped anywhere else. That, that he would just catch me, he would find me. Um, so I ended up putting sunglasses on. Um, my my eye at the time was so swollen, it, it couldn't open. Um, so I, I drove 
like with only visibility out of one eye. Oh my god! Um, went first place. I went to was the Garda station, and I had sunglasses on. Did you go to your local Garda station before you went home? To to my local Garda station, yeah. Okay. Um, and as I was going in the door, he was calling me on my mobile, screaming down the phone. Where was I? He was going to finish me. He was going to murder me. He'd make sure nobody ever found me. And I was stood. I I just walked into the guard station. I answered the phone. I rang the bell. I was shaking with the phone on speaker and him saying all of this in front of the guard. Um, So I removed, I, I was actually putting on sunglasses. I removed the sunglasses. The guard's face dropped. He said, have you gotten medical attention yet? Because I actually had like stains of blood just having ran down my face. Um, and he said, look, you, you need to go get help. So my doctor's was actually just beside where the, the guard station is. And I, I walked in immediately. The receptionist said... Um, she said, oh, my God, oh, my God, and ushered me into a room because I looked that horrific that, like, it's something that nobody should have had to, to see, like. Okay. Um, like, my, my mouth was swollen, my face was swollen, my eye was sealed shut. Um, the doctor ended up referring me for x-rays. Um, they were like, you'll need to get scans and x-rays done because... We, we can't see your eye, it's, it's shut. Um, so I ended up driving myself up to the hospital and they said I would have to come back, that they couldn't see the bones properly because of the amount of swelling or something. Um, I can't believe So I remember this. driving back home, I rang my dad. I was like, Dad, don't freak out. But this is what's after happening. I was like, my face is really, really bad. But I was like, don't, don't freak out. Don't freak out. So I drove home. I actually met my dad coming down the hill towards me. And I just lifted the sunglasses. And I think my dad, my dad couldn't even look at me. My dad just drove out of, I think it was, you know, just him being so shocked. He didn't know how to react. Um. So I did. I, I went. I went back to the hospital a few days later, um, and some of the newspapers reported fractured jaw. It was my cheekbone, and um, he he had fractured, and there was hemorrhaging around my eye, and they they didn't know like was my sight going to be um, affected by it, but. Thankfully, it's not. Yes, but I know that the bruising was very, very extensive. And in the coming days after that brutal attack, of course, the bruising and the swelling began to show, didn't it? Yeah. A tremendous amount of it. And never mind the pain involved and the fractured cheekbone. You must have been in a bad way. The photographs that I, I sent in. So the first, the really bad one was that morning. Like it was when I was on the way down the road, I pulled in to take a photograph um, to just to, to have it. Um, and the next photo then was nearly a month later. Yeah, I haven't seen photographs now. Are you saying that even a month later it was still dreadful? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. Now, clearly at this stage, now your entire family must have been beside themselves with worry and with upset. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like, my, my dad was, like, even though, yes, this had been done to me, my dad was more, my dad, the, the anger inside my dad with the fact that the guards left me inside that house. Um, like, the woman that was there, she said when she picked up the buzzer, if the guards had identified them, themselves, she would have ran out and jumped into their arms. She said she, she could just hear a car ticking over and nobody said nothing. Again, no blue lights on. If if somebody rings you and tells you they're be they're going to be killed in a house, you you come out with sirens on, you you your blue lights, you bust down a gate if you have to. You don't ring a buzzer and drive away. I don't know what to say to that. I just really have no idea. I mean, did that become subject of a separate investigation? Did your dad pursue it in any way? The There was an admission of, dad, of fault, was it? Yeah, after my dad got on to them, um, I think that the calls were pulled and um, I got an apology. They were like, look, we should have done more. We're really sorry. Okay. Um, okay, that's dreadful. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's a chance that I wouldn't be talking to you at all now. Um, so the court appearance, how difficult was that? That was really, really hard um, to sit there. And, like, I, I obviously don't condone, you know, domestic violence. Obviously, I don't think anybody does. Or, you know, assaults, etc., but our court system is way, way too lenient. This lad sat in the box, said, yes, I did it. I'm sorry for my actions. I was I was drunk and he said that he was on cocaine. I never knew he did drugs. I didn't see him, you know, going, doing drugs that night. Um... And the his solicitor played up the fact that he's actively involved in sports, you know. That's and right. Yeah, that's right. I see the I see the court report. Can I just ask you a question? Are you are you intentionally not naming your attacker? Um, I I have no problem naming him. All you have to do is Google Shane Green Cork, and you'll see okay. a big okay. massive history and. His solicitor said that he was a very talented hurler, but was thrown off his GAA panel because of drugs problems. He then spiraled out of control during to, due to taking steroids for bodybuilding and then drinking. Um, I think there was uh, an also admission of, am I right, of anger management issues, his defense counsel said. He had anger. In the two months previous to this vicious attack, were there any warning signs? Nothing. Okay. Nothing okay. at all. Um, now, when it did come out afterwards, um, a few of my friends that would have known this person said, "Oh my God, Amy, if if we knew this was that you were dating this person, okay. we would have warned you that he behaves that way." But when we're talking about you in court, um, I believe that you got phone calls and death threats. Um, was that was that the morning after only? No, so there was there was several calls, um, and then he 
he threatened to come to my house with a specific person. I won't name the person, but this person is really, really, really dangerous from a very dangerous family. Um, so when I got that call, my dad rang the guards and said, we've just been threatened that he's going to come to the house and bring this person. They said, if they arrive to the house, do not go to the door and call us straight away. Okay. Okay. Um, now, thankfully, they, they never did but I, come I, to the house. But I also read that the guards had to go over to him and tell him to stop calling you. Is that right? Yes. Okay. The judge gave a five-year sentence, but agreed to suspend two years in light of his plea and his remorse. I'm assuming that at some stage in court, he apologized for what he did. He apologized to the court. He didn't apologize to me. Yeah. Um, like that, that's something that, that needs to stop in this country. If, if you do the crime, being sorry about it is, is your own, you know, insight on, on, on feeling bad about doing something. But just because you feel bad, it was still done and people need to be punished and the sentences need to fit the crime here. Yeah. People get away with so much. It's a slap on the wrist. While he was in jail, he was sending me letters. The court or the, the jail allowed letters to come from him to me. I ended up having to get on to the guards and the guards had to get on to the jail to tell the jail, stop allowing him contact me. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is an ongoing nightmare. Oh, my God almighty. Where did you get the strength to keep it together? I mean, I did... Unfortunately, I did read in the court report that he said, and I quote, I would like to apologize to Amy for what I'd done. It was horrendous what I did. I was not in a right frame of mind at the time. I'm truly sorry. Now, he said that. And on that basis, one would imagine he got two years off. It's, yeah. it's kind of like, it, 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 do you believe that to have been genuine? No, yeah. not at all. Um, so his the, the letters that he was sending me were all about him. They were complete narcissistic traits and um, that he wanted me to go to him so he could explain um, why he did these things and all about everything that he wanted in this big, long, lengthy letter. And then at the end, he said, sorry about my writing. I'm writing in the dark. I have no light in my room. Okay. okay. Um, did you keep those? Did you burn them? Did you tear them up? I ended I ended up burning them. Um, I did keep them for a few years, um, but I, I did. I eventually there was one day I just sat down and I just burnt. I burnt so much. Do you recall the judge at the time saying that he all but pulverized you? Yeah. 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 The judge would have seen the photographs at the time. Um, they and they were put in evidence. You, you know, there was also a charge for false imprisonment on top of everything else. To call it an assault is an understatement, incidentally. You're aware of that? False imprisonment? Yeah. You were in court. Your mum and dad were in court. The family, all of you? Yeah, well, there, there was myself and my, my dad. Uh, my brother didn't go because my brother said he wouldn't have been able to sit there. And I imagine that your family felt... And I know you referenced your dad. God only knows. I'm a dad myself. He must have felt so helpless. Oh, completely. Like, to look like I, I have a child and 
if, if somebody ever done that and to know that you can't physically do anything without, you know, in turn ending up in jail yourself is is a nightmare. But I think like because our our court system, like with Ashling Murphy, like I can't begin to imagine what her family are going through. And like, I can't begin to imagine what she went through at that time. Like having been strangled, you know, thinking, oh my God, this is it. I'm going, you know, this is going to be the end. And, you know, trying to fight back as much as you can. You know, I, I've experienced that side of it. But, of like, of course the, the attacker, like, our our court system, our, you know, the, the sentences here are way, way, way too lenient. You were so succinct and so to the point in describing you what went through, what you went through. It, you're powerful, and I really am very much in awe of that. Um, you, you just spoke there about, you know, realizing at one stage during the attack that this was it. My life is going to end here. That must have been yeah. a, such a, I mean, all sorts of emotions must have been going through your head. You were only 24 years old and you were saying to yourself, well, this is it. But you fought back. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like I, again, I, I just, I feel so thankful to be here, but like something like that has a knock on effect, of course. you know, later in life. I like know. I'm, I get so scared, like walking somewhere when it's dark, I you know, know. Um, I know. Even I, I work in Cork City and if I had to walk to my car in wintertime, even at five o'clock when it is dark, I am so, so nervous. I'm on the phone walking to my car. You know, I I bought a Garmin um, smartwatch uh, two years ago because it actually has this built-in feature where you, you press and hold um, one of the buttons and it'll send a message to someone that you nominate as an emergency contact. You can you can add loads of emergency contacts. And because of your fear it, and your anxiety and your worry, have you pushed that button over the years at all? I I only to test that it, okay. that it works. Okay. Um, but you, I mean, yeah. it did. It has had long term effects on you. Uh, I think you you mentioned to me earlier when we were chatting earlier on. Um, that relationships relationships were a problem for a long time. Even even dating was a problem, wasn't it? Yeah, it still is. Like I'm I'm so so nervous about meeting people because, like, you don't know what somebody is is like. This was you know nearly two months of me dating somebody, thinking they were you know great that, that this was brilliant. We were getting on like a house on fire, and then all of a sudden to turn like that. Um. And like I, I live m- more rural now. I'm, I'm pretty isolated, and I'm a good bit away from all of my family. So like, I, if I was dating somebody, I couldn't have them here. I couldn't be at no, theirs. No, you wouldn't be it, at peace. You it just terrifies be, me. Yeah, you wouldn't be at peace. No, you wouldn't. And after this horrific attack, in the weeks and months and years, were friends good to you? Did they rally round? Like yeah, a lot, a lot of my family were, would have been really supportive. Like I'm, I'm kind of somebody that I try just, you know, oh, it happened, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's over with, and just gonna put it to the back of my mind and just try forget about it. But then you hear of Ashling Murphy being strangled out for she was out for a run in the middle of the day, 
and it all comes rushing back. Hence our conversation right now. Did you did you get help? Did you talk with anyone professionally, counselling, anything like that? I yeah, I had a bit of counselling after it um, because I like I was so so jumpy. I was constantly looking over my shoulder. I was terrified that you know he he was going to show up and this was like why we were waiting to go to court i was like he's he's going to find me he's going to kill me so that i can't put him in behind bars so that i can't go to court the anxiety of it got I really really bad i know i know a three-year sentence um and this is back to the courts and and sentencing and you you reference that you think there should be harsher sentences. Would you go so far as to say there should be no discounts, no time off for good behaviour, no time off for apologies? Absolutely. Is that not. What you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if if somebody wants to feel remorseful, okay, we we can see you're slightly human, but that doesn't change what you did. Like it, it, people need to serve the time and the sentences need to match like in the way I viewed it like that shouldn't have been a charge for assault that should have been a charge for attempted murder I know what you're saying there was phone calls afterwards saying as I say when I walked into the guard station and the phone was on on speaker he was saying I am going to kill you I know I know so sentencing should be tougher um, I mean, I, I've been thinking ab- about this a lot with rega- whether or not there should be, say, no early release for rape, no early release for murder, uh, you know, no, no early release for violence against the elderly or burglary with violence or carrying a, any weapon like a knife or a slash hook or a machete or a gun, that there should be strong sentencing for that with no, no time off. I mean, rape, for instance, or, or violent assault like you went through. It's it's a power thing against the victim, isn't it? Like attacking and, and robbing an elderly person as well, because they can't put yeah. up a fight. They just they just can't. And and some never recover, incidentally. And you know, I've spoken in the past with family members of elderly people who've been attacked too, who've left their homes and died prematurely in nursing homes. You know, it's awful. Um and all too often then the sentences don't reflect any of the crimes I've just mentioned. Yeah, like I think what should be in every single country in the world is a central public database that you can go on. So for for example, Shane Green assaulted me. And I should I anybody, so we'll say if, if I was somebody else coming along starting to date Shane Green, I should be able to go onto a website, put in somebody's name and date of birth, and it should have a photograph of them and show any crimes that they have committed. But thankfully, a lot of people do that anyway, don't they, Amy? They kind of Google a partner or a date. They, they do, but like not everything is reported on. True, true, you know, true, it, true. It, 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 was, it was only because of the severity of the photographs well, that were shown in court at the time was the reason the papers, like there was four different newspapers reported on, on my, my assault at the time. I know what you're saying, because in some cases, these cases can have anonymity of the victim and it could have anonymity of the assailant and it could be an in-camera hearing. So it wouldn't necessarily be on the public record. You're saying these should be where people can reference them every time. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, before another person gets with Shane Green, they need to be fully aware that this is what he is capable of. 
you know, and, and have that. If, if they want to pursue it, great. You know, well, not great, but all well and good for them. But they should still be able to be aware to not put themselves in a dangerous situation where they are isolated well, or alone with this person. Let, let's say potentially dangerous because there are, we don't know whether he changed his ways. We don't know whether yeah. he got help. We don't know whether he turned his life around. Hope to God for him and others that he did. But we don't know. But that's a risk sometimes that's not worth taking, you're saying. I understand. Yeah, no, it, it, it should. Like, I know, I th- well, I think in America, um, there's there's a sex offenders register. Yeah. Like, that should be here. The, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're convicted of rape or anything else, it should be there. Like, you know, I know they say protecting the victims, um, not not naming people, but at the end of the day, there could be another victim. <sighs> so many questions, and I and I, I I'm not going to keep you much longer because I know it's difficult for you. But I imagine the days and the weeks and the months afterwards, with all of these very evident injuries to you, the bruising, the the fractured cheekbone, the damaged eyes. You must have been very conscious of that when you were going about your life. Yeah. Um, yeah, sunglasses and lots and lots of makeup. You poor thing. Um, yeah, so like, I mean, I again, I I thought, oh my god, you know, I, I'm going to be disfigured or deformed, and th- that is what what some people are left with. Fortunately, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't left with you know every everything kind of heals. Um, and how is your life now? Uh, life is good. Life is good. Still, I'm. I'm still. You know, I. I. I'm. I'm doing good in life. So, I'm. I'm thankful for that. But you know, I. I'm. I. I have a little boy, and I think I'm a lot more nervous about everything over the kind of the level of anxiety that I have from being assaulted. And what what's going to happen? Do you think to make the world a safer place for women? And I know it's. That all, the majority of men are good men, but unfortunately, some aren't, and it's it's men are hurting women. How are we going to make this place a, a better place for women and everybody to live in? I I think that like again, people do need to be outed. They, there there needs to be some database that you can access because if people can see this is what you are doing and it's known about you, I feel like people wouldn't want to be on there. So it's more of a deterrence rather than kind of going, oh, well, nobody's ever going to know if I've beaten the, the, the life out of somebody, you know, or attacked somebody and it, it's all kept hush-hush. I, I, I do think it would be a deterrent, like, if if everyone knows that, you know, this person but, behaved this way. But that won't stop a first-time attacker beating somebody like you or killing somebody like Ashling who had no previous... How, how are we going to change that? I mean, is that... Is that upbringing? Is it is it is it drug abuse? Is it pornography? Is it power? Is it all of those things? What is it? I I, I honestly I I don't know. Um, you know I I think a lot of it is for, for, from my experience. Um, it's having control. Control that, that they want to have that control and instill fear and panic to feel power. And like I I can't say like. Shane's family, I couldn't say anything bad about them. They're a really, really good family. Um, they're, they're doing well, lovely home. Oh, my God almighty. So many people are touched by that. 
assault on you. But you know, you're here, you're alive, you're strong. Go be with your beautiful son and thank you for taking the call, you wonderful girl. No problem, thanks Neil. Take care, Amy. All the best. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, um, quite an amount of emails and texts, actually uh, a lot. And I want to take some time as well to do right by people who got in touch. Uh, And if that takes me some time, so be it. It's important. Uh, Morning, I was sexually assaulted when I was 21. It was a 10 minute walk from the village to my home. Uh, I could hear him behind me as I walked through an alley. As I turned the corner into the estate, he caught up. He approached me from behind. Uh, He put his hands over my eyes and asked, Guess who? Thinking it was someone I knew, I didn't brace myself when he forced me to the ground, cutting my knees. He dragged me back down the alley. I struggled as he repeatedly tried to remove my clothes. I screamed and screamed. It was later reported that the screams could be heard for 20 minutes. I had no concept of time. I told him I had my period to try to stop him. This is the part that hurts the most. I gave up. I stopped screaming. I stopped struggling. I accepted the inevitable. I was going to be raped. I turned my head and it was as if I disconnected from my own body. I still have a vivid memory of seeing the raindrops in the puddle beside my head. How strange to be lying on the wet, cold ground and to not feel a thing. My brain's way of protecting me, I've been told. Then I heard a familiar voice. He shouted at the attacker who got up and walked off slowly with his hands in his pockets. I watched him slowly walk away and I remember being so baffled that no one was stopping him. It occurred next to the home of people I knew well and they heard my screams. They took me into their home, a place I knew and felt safe. They cleaned my knees and called the guards. They saved me. And I will always be so grateful. But this incident has changed me and informed so much of who I've become and the choices I've made in life, good and bad. I've gone over it so many times in my head. In the aftermath, the shame was the worst. It wasn't that I felt it was my fault, but I felt I could have been... Apologies, I needed to cough. Um, I thought you spoke about the, the shame of being the worst. It wasn't that I felt it was my fault, but I felt it could have been avoided. Because what I haven't mentioned is that this was at approximately 2 a.m. A young girl walking home on her own at 2 a.m. after drink down an alleyway in a short dress. How could I be so stupid? This was just not my inner voice. This was said to me on a number of occasions. A guard commented on my dress, a bandgarda, saying it was like a top on her. Her dress was like a top on her. I'm five foot. She, the Bangarda, incidentally, was much, much taller. These comments made me feel reluctant to talk uh, to people for fear of judgment. It was a sense that I did something wrong. I made a poor choice and I paid the price for it. But I was blaming myself because as a young girl, I've been conditioned to think that men can't help themselves. And I left myself vulnerable to be abused. This changed when soon after a friend was murdered in a local park In daylight, I was devastated. The reality of what could have been for me was abundantly clear. My sense of guilt that I had survived and my friend Rachel didn't. She did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. Ashling did nothing wrong. In fact, we can do all the right things and this still happens. We can be running at four o'clock in the afternoon, sober in a public place, fully covered with no one to save us. And this happens. I'm so sick of feeling afraid. 
I hope you get to read this out. Just use the initial S. Thank you for that. I, I'm always very much in admiration of people who, you know, send emails like that because they're revisiting the trauma and everything. And there's a lot of unanswered questions that I don't have answers to. He walked off. Um, I don't know what became of your rapist as to whether he was ever found, uh, whether he was prosecuted or not. Um, but again, I would, could scream from the rafters, absolutely scream the house down whenever I hear somebody saying, oh, you know, walking home on your own at two in the morning. Look at the state of the dress. Look at what you were wearing. I mean, that is assault. You know, using terms like that and saying things like that is, a, is assault upon assault. Um, a lot of texts from yesterday, um, and a lot of them are related to either comments or calls on the air. But here is a selection. I actually don't know what to say listening to a particular man on Neil's show. Uh, this is from yesterday morning. All men, that means all men are or are friends with a man that cat calls a woman. Had a feel in a crowded pub jokes about what they do to a girl if they had her. All men therefore need to make it normal to speak better about women. To pull the friend aside if he speaks in that tone about a woman. That's what all men means. I hope I get the point across. They need to take responsibility for the way women are spoken about by the other men. Call the man out. Don't laugh at it. Yeah, And some laugh not even finding it funny but laugh anyway. Um but you're right, we need to, and I fully intend to live my life like that going forward. Um, I just wanted, I don't want to seem negative, but we had a female Minister for Justice before, as well as a female Tonishta and a female Garda Commissioner. I don't remember them doing anything for women, to be honest, says Tony on the College Road. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, we now have a female Justice Minister again. It's, uh, it's an opportunity now to look at uh, helping the Garda, like... You're not going to believe this. You possibly know it, but there's at least a two and a half year wait and delay to process um, rape in Ireland. You, you can have members of the Garda Shikona and detectives with 30, 35, 40, 45 active files. Just them alone. One guard, one detective could have up to 45. I know this because I have case histories of this from people on the air and stories that I have that never even get to air. So you could have 45 cases that a guard could be dealing with. And imagine the process of trying to get a rape that happens now to court, maybe sometime around the middle of 2024. Um, and that's if you're lucky, possibly late 2024. One wonders, is that any reason why some women just decide, I can't go through this, I can't wait that long, I'm just going to put behind me, I'm going to move on. Uh, it's pig-headed at a time when men are supposed to be listening. Um, actually, I'll come back to that because these are quotes from different things that we did on the air recently. My aunt was murdered over 20 years ago by her partner. He stabbed her 27 times. My aunt was murdered over 20 years ago by her partner. He stabbed her 27 times. As he claimed, he was acting in self-defense. He was let out on bail and consequently stabbed another woman three weeks later. He's out now living his life because our justice system readily allows people who have committed such evil acts to re-enter society. My heart is broken for Ashling's family. I completely understand what they're all going through, but I feel the wrong message is being shared this week through our society. There will always be evil murderers, people who somehow have something wrong in their mind that allows them to look at people, men or women, in a different way to the rest of us, that they could kill them so easily. I'm reading Murder Most Local by Peter O'Shea at the moment. It's so interesting. Historic murders around the East and North Cork area. One of the stories from the 1930s 
in Rathmore was very similar to Ashling's story, but with one simple difference. The man was put to death for his crime. There will always be evil people, as there always has been. I don't know how they could be caught before they commit such horrendous acts, but they will always be there. A life is a life. I would say R.I.P. to poor Ashling. Uh, morning, I'm a woman, and in the past few days, we've all heard, uh, all we've heard is there has to be change. It has to be a watershed moment. What I'd like to know is, how exactly is there going to be a change? What is anyone going to do? How exactly can they change it? People have been murdering people for as long as we've walked the planet. So I really can't see how anyone can change it. I'm very sorry for Ashling and for her unfortunate family. It's dreadfully sad. I also agree with that man you had just on the air there. There are way too many people being left in the, into the country who have no idea what they could have done in their own countries before. I know not all of these people are the same, but the reality is we don't have a clue who's coming in. Thank you. I addressed those kind of comments yesterday myself. I'm not going to go over it again. This, after all, is your platform. Um, I just will say that many of us travelled overseas ourselves and were welcomed in foreign countries, weren't we? Uh, people, I, I'm not for a moment suggesting somebody who's got a criminal conviction in a country for murder should be allowed in here. Oh, no, I wouldn't think that at all. Uh, people need to remember Rachel Kiley and Nicholas Sweeney, both in Cork, who were senselessly murdered by Ian Horgan and Peter Whelan, respectively. People should Google Ian Horgan to see the light sentence he, really, he received and the horrific crimes he carried out post the murder of Rachel. And let's keep Peter Whelan in prison. Lock them up. Keep them locked up. Life is life. That's the selection, lads, and it's only the tip of the iceberg. Back after 11, you can text 0868104106. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. New year, new number for Neil. 0818-104-106. Now, there is a husband, um, a widower, who wishes to pass on kind thoughts to everybody that cared for his wife in the mercy. He just sent me a short email saying, Neil, I just wanted to say thanks and thank everyone at the mercy who cared for my wife, Sandra, who died on the 6th of November last year of cancer. She was diagnosed early in 2021 and treatment was designated life-extending, not life-saving. The hospital were amazing throughout and made her passing as peaceful as possible. I cannot thank every single one of them enough for the kindness and compassion they've shown. Don't give up my full details other than my first name. Many thanks, says Martin. I'm happy to pass on those kind words on your behalf. I know they will mean an awful lot to all of the staff, and I mean all of the staff at the Mercy Hospital. Um, no details here uh, because this person still works in the same company. But you, you talk about the attitudes between the sexes and certainly in the workplace. I work in a multinational company in Cork. Uh, the way women are treated, it's no wonder women feel vulnerable. A fellow male employee, while having a cigarette in the smoking area, started chatting to a new employee uh, a couple of days into the job. He stated how he wanted to kick the S-H-I-T-E out of a girl working inside. Now, the woman, the new employee, obviously shocked, reported this to management and to the girl in question also because after milling it over that night, she felt if she didn't report it, this man could carry out his threat and we'd possibly have another incident like Tullamore. When she reported it to management, nothing was done. The girl who was threatened had to bring her own grievance against the male bully and then the male managers circled the wagons to protect the perpetrator and to try and victimise the victim by making up allegations 
that the girl was bad-mouthing the bully, etc., etc. Independent witnesses came forward and said the girl had not bullied anybody as management had claimed she did. Uh, at the grievance meeting, management circled the wagons, as I say, even more to dismiss the woman's signed statement as hearsay. Even though the bully has had a number of run-ins with other female employees in the past and even punched a male employee in the past as well. All of this was swept under the carpet. The victim of the threatening behaviour has contacted HR on numerous occasions, only to be every time ignored. Management in the past have bullied other women, and one even went around with porn on his phone, joking how one of the porn stars looked like a female employee. Um, all incidents were reported and supposedly investigated, in inverted commas, but covered up by male management. Still, in Ireland in 2022, women are not equal and the tragedy in Tullamore will keep happening until men change their attitudes towards women. All men can make change. Uh, can't come on air because if I was identified, I could and probably would lose my job. Um, and one here from Michael who says, on the 12th of January 2022, 23-year-old Ashling Murphy went for a run at 1600 hours. During the run, she was murdered. This murder has provoked shock, horror and outrage amongst the population. Many are asking what can be done to prevent the apparent culture of violence against women. Perhaps one area is to review the treatment of women appearing as victims of crime in our court system. Many consider their treatment of the courts to be questionable. In one case, a barrister, female, implied the underwear of the alleged victim of rape could be considered an invitation to rape. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Proper standards must be set even in our courts and the rights of women must be protected and respected, says Michael Moriarty in Rochestown. Um, and that's just a selection of uh, an absolute outpouring of thoughts and opinions on this topic. You can email neil at uh, redfm.ie uh, and I will come back to texts and emails throughout the course of the morning. Um, Ashley funeral, funeral is happening right now and of course there are many, many people in attendance, amongst them politicians. I think perhaps the Taoiseach is there and lots of politicians, maybe lots of ministers. Uh, and it's good to pay respects like that and it's good for Ashling to be represented uh, at a funeral by, you know, perhaps the Taoiseach on behalf of the nation. But to some extent, they should be hanging their hand, heads in shame, really, because um, what are they going to do besides going to the funeral of a murdered girl to change the world or change Ireland, make it a safer place? Uh, and there are many things they can do with regards to updating the statute books, perhaps looking again at sentencing, uh, speeding up, I told you, two and a half years, at least two and a half years now, rape case to get to court, um, these kind of things. Uh, I mean... We've spent so much money on areas of this country that could be put on hold for a little while, I believe, while other areas that need desperately to be funded. It could be speeded up in that regard. Um, and then you look at the inequities of our court system, and, and you, can never, you can never compare like with like, clearly. They happen in different courts, they're in different jurisdictions, some of the high courts, some of the districts, some of the circuit. But you will recall the convicted murderer. He was a convicted murderer before he came to Ireland. And he attacked his, he attacked his wife and... Uh, he then tried to rip off her eyelash extensions at their home in West Cork. So he had murdered in Eastern Europe, came over here, did this then. Um, and he got the balance of whatever jail sentence he was serving suspended. He got an 18-month jail term for this, um, trying to strangle his partner and ripped off her eyelash. It was an ongoing attack, actually. So he got a, an 18-month jail term. And the judge noticed that he had already been in remand on the charge for almost a year. So he suspended what was left of the 18 months. So he's out after uh, 12 months for that.
Some would say it should be 10 years. But at the same time, then, I read for you a story this morning. And I know you can't compare like with like, but there's a fellow who's a chronic drink problem, right? I know he was before the courts before and he had previous convictions. I understand all of that. But he's a chronic drink problem. He took a wheelie bin. He went to the corner house pub and they must be very annoyed about it. And he put a, a, a keg of Guinness into it. And then he wheeled off the wheelie bin with the keg of Guinness in it. Um, it had just been delivered that morning. He was before the courts. And he got a four-month jail term for it. A four-month jail term. Um, so you you got to wonder about sentencing. I'll allow you to make up your own minds on that. And things that they could do then with regards to the statute book, I mentioned this yesterday. Is it now time, for instance, where women can take extra protection? Not that they should. I'm not saying that they should but perhaps that they could, and amongst it could be uh, pepper spray. Now, pepper spray is illegal in this country, but you can buy it online. And uh, Ema Google this morning, and she can buy pepper spray online for anywhere between €10 Euro and €20, Euro, depending on the actual product you go for. And it is legal in certain European countries, but not here. It's totally legal in America in all states. But I know that Councillor Kenneth Flynn has an opinion on this because he has uh, written to the Minister for Justice Asking the minister to introduce or to consider introducing pepper spray in Ireland joins me with a phone. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Um, I'm well. I'm assuming you also did a little bit of research into the countries that do and don't allow it. The vast majority don't, to be quite honest with you. Well, I suppose when you yeah when you, when you look at different laws around Europe, um, as you, as you're as you're well aware, and you said uh, the United States, it's legal in the fifty states. Uh, Germany, it's uh, legal in um, Italy for over 16, Spain, Hungary, I think Portugal, um, a lot of the EU member states, it's legal. For well, here's where, here's where it is. You're, uh, you're right on the money there, are, yeah. Hang on a second. Are, are you need a license for, some of them you need to be over 18 for, some of them could all be bought in certain shops. So that there, I'm, I think I sent the list to one. Yeah. So if we gen, if we generalise it, sometimes it's harder to get it in one country than another. Yeah. It's got to be a certain age group. Sometimes sixteen, sometimes eighteen. But by and large, Italy, France, Czech Republic, Spain, Austria, Poland, Russia, Germany, Switzerland, Portugal, it is it is it is legal. Uh, some of those countries, though, um, uh, where it is legal, say you have to have a license. You got to apply for a license, and then you can buy it. But countries where it's not, of course, are Ireland. We clearly know that. Um, Belgium, Denmark, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Norway, Greece, Sweden, Hungary, Iceland, Ireland, Sweden, Turkey, and the United Kingdom. So there's yes, the ones that legal, do it. It's, it's legal for the police to hold them and to have this. And it's been used in Ireland before, and it's been used in the UK quite a lot. Um, but it's illegal for a citizen uh, to, to own it. Uh, in some of the EU countries, it's regarded as a weapon. In other EU countries, it's regarded as legal as a, as a self-defense um, mechanism. So what you're referencing there is the section on the UK, where pepper spray is illegal and considered to be a firearm, and if you're caught with it, it carries the same legal penalties as carrying a gun. Yeah, and the same in Sweden, I think, as well. Look, what I suppose, Neil, to start the conversation, um, this isn't the answer to everything. And I think your callers over the last number of days and, and the last week have signified what needs to happen with the start of education um, and and rethink and re-talk about what's going on in, in, in Ireland and across Europe. Bear in mind that every two minutes there's a sexual crime reported in the European Union. Like that's a staggering fact. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, and that's frightening. And Neil, I, I think from talking to Mary Quilly, from listening to her on your show on a number of occasions, I, I think it's like maybe one in three crimes, sexual crimes, are reported in Ireland. 
So I'd imagine the figures are... And a tiny amount of rape gets to court and a tiny amount of it results in conviction. What is it it about the Spanish? They seem to be very proactive and forward-thinking in many areas. Like, they don't have an A&E like we do, for instance. They have little clinics which are all covered for by the National Health. You just walk in there, you get whatever's done with you fixed and you're not waiting seven hours in a chair. And here they are now with, say, for instance, pepper spray legal as well. They must have reasons for legislating it. They have, and of course, they're, you know, in fairness to Spain, they were very backward when it came to domestic violence up to the 1990s. Right. And then, of course, there was a, there was a huge change in, in public attitude. Um, very similar um, situation of public outcry um, regarding a woman who went on TV at the time and spoke about um, abuse in her, in, her, in her own life and ended up a couple of days later being murdered by her husband. And there was a huge outcry in, in really? 1995, actually, about that. And, and do you think that a case say, like Ashley Murphy could garner that kind of change here, the uh, death of I'll her? I'll be honest with you, Neil, there, there's things that are ringing in my head. Like the Ashley Murphy case has, has, de- has definitely affected everybody in some way or another. And it's, it's the talking point uh, for a lot of people at the moment, for everybody uh, at the moment in this country. Uh, very similar to the Veronica Gearing uh, story. Oh, I know, but uh, I mean, we don't have parallel. to look too far from our own doorstep here in Cork with the um, murder of Rachel Kiley in Ballancolig. Um, yeah. And and that didn't, oh, that was such an, an awful, awful story to be reporting on the time, but it didn't result in any sea of change. No, it didn't. And, and you know, when we think about what happened back in Tramoy there in October, it was September or October, but that lady that was out walking her dog and the, the sexual attack there. Yeah. I think there's certain things Look, pepper spray is one part of it. And I'm asking the minister to consider introducing pepper spray um, as a self-defense mechanism for women. Over the last number of weeks, uh, actually for quite some time, I've been getting the emails from people saying they don't feel safe walking down uh, certain lanes or there's a a certain area in their neighbourhood that they don't feel safe about. Um, It could be increased lighting, could we get CCTV? And that can go from a group of lads or a group of girls and boys sitting in a corner um, you know, that can be quite intimidating with yeah. an older person yeah. passing or it can be something more sinister. Yeah. And, you know, look, Neil, we, we know that we have to have a conversation. We have to get education. And this isn't about women's rights. This isn't about LGBTQ rights. This is about human rights. And we have to teach human rights from a very early age and, and respect for everybody in society and understanding of everybody's, uh, regardless of their race, colour, creed, sexuality, sexual orientation. We accept that. We know that that has to happen. And that sea change is beginning to happen and that outcry is beginning to happen. That's what the Department of, uh, of, ed- of Education and needs to be taken up by the Department of Education. What needs to be right. done by the What needs to be done by the Department of Justice? I think we need to get a lot tighter on our laws. Uh, as you mentioned, that case, the ripping off the eyelashes for somebody that's coming into the country. Strang- that, strangulation. It just, it yeah. just, I, I, look, I believe just, that this, the European Union has to be putting together a sex offenders list where people are travelling from wherever they're travelling for, coming in into this multicultural society that we now live in. If they're coming into our country, I believe that our, our Interpol, our Europol... But surely if, be, but surely, yeah, yeah, but surely if somebody is if found... If you're on a sex offenders list... Or yeah, if you're or on guilty of murder and you've served time in your native yeah. country, surely that would preclude you from coming into the country. 
well, I, you know, I, I think that's a, an adult conversation that needs to happen across Europe and that, our, your, that okay. our members of the European Parliament our MEPs need to start talking about this. And we need to have an adult conversation about this. And this is about protection of your citizens. This is about and what about sentencing and, and committing crimes on bail and things like that? Equally, Neil, like, you know, if we go back to 1983 when Proposition 8 was introduced in California, you saw a, a tremendous decrease of um, serious crimes being 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 What's that? perpetrated. Proposition Eight was the three strike rule, and that is still very active and still very alive in the courts in California. So that means if you're um, after if you're after committing a crime, whatever that crime is, and you've been sentenced for something, if you're a repeat offender, your sentence is doubled, tripled, and if you're if you're a third time offender, you know you are talking life. And that goes for three whatever. Strike, that's right. I remember the and three strike that's term. Yeah. Yeah. That was introduced in but you know, uh, and you that know. has seen a huge decrease and a huge deterrent in people' um, behaviour. Look, let's call a spade a spade. There will always be sexual violence. There will always be attacks on people. There will always be murder. If we take anything from history. We know that there's always going to be attacks. We know that there's always going to be violence. It's happened throughout. But we have to, we have to arm people. We have to, we have to arm people. Somebody's in, suggesting. In I see an interesting. I know, but I see an interesting in text saying that pornography is disabling women. That it makes it objectifies them. It makes them out to be sexual ob- objects. Pornography and, and well, people people who who get blurred, confused messages when watching pornography. Like somebody else said, OnlyFans. And the campaigning for women to have their right to show graphic images of themselves online isn't helping the current situation either. These are just observations made by texters. And, look, and pe- people have mentioned on your show in the last couple of days as well, and the last couple of years, uh, uh, toxic masculinity. And that has to be addressed. And that has to be addressed. And that, that is something that is, is happening in society. Uh, and what toxic masculinity is to me and it is the pressure and the peer pressure that is put on on young men uh, to be more aggressive and to have more sexual conquests and to be earlier active and yeah. lose your virginity yeah. and, and, and you know all this sort of carry on yeah. okay this type of, of and that is toxic and treat women and, and behave with women in a different way as we see in the United States um, Ivy League colleges are having huge problems with the behaviour of women uh, or the behaviour of men towards, towards women, women yeah. and, Ken you, you know, know the, the problem we saw, with, we saw that the problem was just finally with pepper spray is that if it were legal then it also puts it in the hand of rapists, murderers and people who assault women. They use it then as a weapon. Yeah, correct. correct. Look, my, my, my mother has a device on her handbag um, which leaves off a, lo- a large noise. You can pull the string on it. Um, we got it for a number of years ago. Um, as you know, my, my intended mother-in-law is Spanish. She carries a bottle of mace. Uh, does she know? And, so, so, and so does my sister-in-law. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that's being honest with you. Um, it's it's so you know. I, well, I know, and, and good for them. My, but I'm saying it also allows the rapist to carry the mace yeah. or to carry it, the pepper spray. Look, it do, it does. It's generally something that research will show that hasn't happened in the United States and and, and in, you know, there's opportunity rape, there's all different types of rape or attacks or assaults on women mm-hmm. for different reasons and, you, you know, there's lots of psychological reports to read on that and, and documents. And there's also documentation to show that women have been saved by having pepper spray. Well, look, my own personal experiences, you know, I've worked in the theatre for a long time in London, yeah. uh, you know, and we would get out at 11 o'clock after undressing and changing into our, our civilian clothes in the whole house and taking off makeup and all that sort of stuff. We were always running for the last tube um, or train or whatever the situation. So we all kind of go our separate ways after the theatre closed. 
And I, I do remember an experience where a bottle of mace uh, saved one of the actresses I was working with mm. I, I, in a tube station. Mm. I remember her recanting the story that if she didn't have that, and it was actually a handbag attack, it wasn't, you know, it could have been a lot worse, it could have mm. been a sexual attack, it could have been something like that. I remember her saying, only that I had the mace with me, I was gone. You know, and she, her fear was that she was going to be thrown on the back, actually, at the time. Enough said. You're expecting so, some kind of response from the minister. I'm, it's I'm hoping for a response. I've also asked the minister to consider as well um, putting a fund together for self-defence classes for women. Look, Neil, I know that this isn't the answer to but it's about... People will say they shouldn't need self-defence classes. I agree, but in, you know, it's all very well to say that, but that's not going to fix, uh, fix the next assault that could happen this weekend or next weekend. Okay. We'll, we'll stay in Thank touch. You. Thank you for now, as always. Kenneth Flynn, who's been in touch with Helen McEntee's office. What does pepper spray do? Well, it affects the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the chest, the throat, and the skin. And it also affects the central nervous system. You spray it uh, at a person's face, uh, their eyes tear up, their eyes start to burn, their eyes will start to involuntarily close they become bloodshot and damaged for up to an hour. The nose then will start running and burning and irritation and saliva will start pumping from the mouth. Um, your central nervous system will start to uh, change. You'll suffer headaches, dizziness. Um, your skin then will burn where it's hit the skin. Get a bad stinging feeling on the surface and the nerve endings. Your throat will swell up, uh, restricting your airway. You'll start to gasp. You'll gag. Your chest will tighten. Your respiratory system will go into uh, alarm and you will start irrepressibly irrepressibly coughing uh, and all of that uh, within seconds. And many of those conditions will stay for at least 15 minutes. Um, certainly the pain and the irritation, uh, they say that what a person needs to do, um, I suppose you know, the assailant would need to do, is to try and get water, cold water and lots of it, as soon as possible. But one thing for sure is whatever they're doing, they'll stop and probably flee the scene if they're even capable of fleeing the scene. Uh, lines open. Pick up the phone 0818 The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Uh, just to put some balance on the man v woman thing, says Jim, and I know it's not a good time to do this, but some women are just as violent as men. Some women kill their children. Some women kill their husbands, boyfriends, ex-lovers. There are a lot of laws in this country that are not implemented in time that could save lives. Michal Martin will now bring in new laws based on a knee-jerk reaction. He will be better placed to use existing laws and make those existing laws work. Everyone is very upset by the murder of the young school teacher Ashling, and rightly so. But there have been women killed in Cork and other places in Ireland where there was no candles lit. Make the laws work that are in place now and then maybe we would live in a safer place. Kind regards, says Jim, and that by email. Uh, Caroline says, Derek on yesterday's programme is right about controlling our borders. Um, just say, well done, Derek. Good to hear it, like it is. And before anyone says it, he is not, nor am I racist. It's the way that it is. Uh, I 100% agree with him, but it wouldn't hurt the Irish men to help bring change about too. Tighter on the borders and uh, Irish men to change, says Caroline. You can email neil at uh, redfm.ie. And uh, do some text this side of, of midday. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Hope you're well. I'm well, thanks. Go ahead. Good. Uh, Neil, obviously, the Ashley Murphy tragedy has resonated so many, so many stories, particularly that poor misfortunate girl, Ashling, that you had in your programme there. Well, those Amy, those poor those Amy, yes. Good. Very strong. I shouldn't say that. She's a very strong girl and well no, capable of it. telling her story. Yeah. 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 Now, with the Minister for Justice, who's Helen McEntee, who's a lady, stronger action must be taken. 
Now, there's a few extremes, but if she comes up and she discusses about the introduction of the death penalty to let offenders know how serious the country is taking the tragedies into consideration, to punch home the people and offenders how serious and how disastrous it is. But unfortunately, it will not happen. Oh, you're you're advocating right. that we should have a discussion about... Have a discussion about it, by all means, yeah. I know it won't be carried through, but have a discussion. Let offenders know how serious, serious the country is taking it. The other thing, it will not happen. But if it was discussed that people who rape, attack, murder are flogged, right? It won't happen. But to knock home to offenders how serious the country is taking it and... Something, something must be done. There was a thing there years ago, I remember writing to Nora Owen, she was a Minister of Justice. She, that, that, that was about all she was. And they had it in, in Georgia, USA, a thing called Boot Camp. And it was a phenomenal success. Mm. It had some like 92% success mm. to its credit. Was that everybody went to boot camp or under 18s went to boot camp? And to under 18s, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we had a form of that with uh, Spike at the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But in fairness, it worked in the USA at the time. I don't know if it's still uh, introduced there at this stage. Now, the other thing, actually... With so you're talking corporal punishment as well as capital punishment? Well, to discuss it, to discuss it, to let people know, Jesus, these guys are taking this very, very serious, how brutal and how savage things are happening out in the world there. Um, the other thing, actually... The vast majority of them are Arab countries or African countries that have, uh, some Asian countries as well, have the death penalty. And, of course, uh, a number of states in America. But yeah. no, no European Union country, though. That's true, yeah, that's true. But let people know that, you know, it's on the card, it's on the card. I know it will not go through because it'll be defeated. The other thing, then, is that introduction of conflict, to introduce to convicted offenders icy compression chamber treatment because great sportsmen great athletes will tell you I remember the first man of all was the great Brian O'Driscoll as a young fellow he got a serious injury we did not have ice chambers here in Ireland he was sent to Poland and he had a remarkable recovery now people who offend who rape who attack who assault and if they're taken out and voluntarily agree they do not want to do it again, they'll take this treatment to help them mentally and physically to overcome the problem that they have. Okay? Right. Um, yeah, so, are, so are you talking about kind of a, not a bariatric chamber, but a nice, a, what are you talking about? What is it exactly? An nice decompression chamber. Like you go, there's many of them in Cork. And what will that do for somebody who's filled with hate well, or a hatred of women? It trigger or? home to the brain. It will trigger home to the brain. What they did was cruel, it was wrong. And it was offensive. Which that's co- that would cost the taxpayer a fortune, whereas all people really want is for them to be jailed for a long, long time, in some cases for life. Okay, okay, just making the point on it. Just no, I, not, listen, yeah. I know, it's, it's my job to rebut. I'm saying what yeah, re- yeah. people really want to see is the uh, punishment of the crime, and all too often in Ireland that doesn't happen. That's very true, I mean, yeah. flogging is interesting. I wonder how many people believe there should be some form of corporal punishment for crimes. Yeah, well, there's a point to discuss, but I don't the chance of it happening because... Um, yeah. I don't think it can be carried through, but the important thing is for offenders to realise the country is set up of free legal aid. Here's another thing that drives me bananas, right? In Canada, I think it's about five free legal aids. After that, you're ghost. You've got to stand on your own two feet. Why should a taxpayer be pumping, pumping, pumping oil or fuel? into the legal profession. Well, you're, I mean, that's very true. Time after time, over and over again, you see people up in the courts with 100 previous, 200 Correct, previous, yeah. and it's free legal aid every time. At what time yeah. will we say, hang on a second, this is like monkey see, monkey do. It's not going to change. Like reading the great, 
and you're reading the great Chris Luke's book at the moment, right? And he points out, like, offenders, people who suffer from drug problems, coming in, being treated in A&E, they're sent out, they're recovering, and next within a week or two, they're back in again. It's repetition, repetition. But if it's eliminated, then after five um, free legal aids, you stand in your own two yeah. You're not being fed by the state to... Um, you know, to um, good points. Yeah, yeah. Live, 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 live the holiday, and the whole thing comes back to me. And there's another point in the book there as well. You realise that in a, in, a, in a kitchen where there's a big stove, where there's burning logs, coal, and turf. If I open the door of the bar of one of these stoves and put my think about putting my hand in there straight away, straight away, I know it's the wrong thing to do. I get excruciating pain. I'm deformed for the rest of life. People realise when they're doing these rapes or murders or assaults or attacks. At the very instant, I'm positive they realise it's the wrong thing to do. But the big thing is, what is the minister going to do? What suggestions are going to be put forward to her to prevent these murders, rapes and assaults happening in the future? Okay. What will be done? Like the, the, the drugs and drink that's destroying communities, destroying people's lives. You know, we have to move forward. We have to do something sensational. Sensational. Yeah. The fifth commandment says, Thou shalt not kill. Right? Yeah, well, on that basis, you murder somebody, you go to jail for life. No parole, no reduction in sentencing. That doesn't take a whole lot of work. Yeah. You know? Anyway, good points. Thanks for them. Appreciate it, Michael. Have a good day. Text 0868104106. Come on the air. Pick up the phone. 0818104106. Pat, good morning. Morning, Dan. Thanks for holding. Um, you worked in security for many, many years, so suffered assault over periods of time. Yes, and 90% of those assaults would have been carried out by females. Right. And your point uh, being? Females are as dangerous as males as regards assaulting. This case has sort of highlighted males as being the perpetrators all the time, which is not the case. But, ah, but in fairness, Pat, come on, just back up a little bit. There's no women hiding in bushes waiting to jump out on a woman who's jogging on well, the canals. I mean, in fairness, Men. Over, over the years you've been on radio, you've had a lot of situations where girls have attacked girls for no reason whatsoever. If you go back in Cork in the last 20 years, you've had females involved in murders. Oh, yeah, in fact, in fact, we've had a couple in the last six months. I understand that. I understand that. Um, but but they're but they're no they're no the victims are known to them. A lot of it is domestic stuff. Others was others involved a brother in a will and things. Um, the, the, the type of crime we're talking about women are strangers by and the the stranger aspect of the fourteen percent of them who are strangers. They are. M- motiveless. There's no reason for the attack. There's no story behind them. Again, in your show over the last 20 years or so, you've had females attacking females that they didn't know. Ah, yeah, but that's that's an argy-bargy, or that's a fight, or that's drink-related, or it's anger. It's it's in this is we're not talking about those. We're always going to have that, but this is men using power over women for gratification or power, sexual or not, death as a result. This is it. You see, Neil, it's different. It's different regarding a security guard being assaulted by a woman for shoplifting. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not. not. What's going to happen there, Neil, is that you're going to be out walking, taking a stroll along a road, and there's a woman going to come across you. 
going to come along the other side that you don't know and she doesn't know you and she's going to feel nervous because you're walking the same foot. Well, apparently that's the way it is for women with men anywhere now and we need to change that. I don't know. I mean, I understand. Look, I I don't know. You know, shoplifting, being assaulted by a woman, can you really make a comparison? Well, uh, what I'm trying to say is women can be as violent as men. Yeah, Any day but, yeah, but yeah, but no, it's the, but, yeah, but it's the f- severity of it. Like, you, you, a security guard stops somebody shoplifting, right? Yeah, you're saying that there's there's a chance that the woman will turn, try and run away, try and get away, hit you a dig, is it? Yes, I've been hit many times. I've had cars driven at me over the years. That's with motor vehicles driven at me, by the way. I know, and and, and, and none of that is right. And don't get me, and, don't get me and wrong. Do you know, so. And do you know something for nothing? when I would have made complaints to the Gaudi. The Gaudi's attitude was, you know yourself, it's part of the job. I never signed up for it at the time. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I'll point out with the Ashling Murphy case, and it's got to do with what's going on in the country overall. There was a lady supposed to have been followed two hours before Ashling Murphy was murdered on a bike. Now, I don't know the full details of the case, but if she had rang the local station and made a complaint, would there have been any credence given to it? I don't know whether that could have made a difference for Ashley Murphy. I don't know whether the guards would have responded to it, taken it seriously. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the commissioner had to come out last year and apologise. For 999 calls? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, if that lady who was followed on the bike had made a complaint, would it have made a difference? I don't know. I don't know. I spoke to Amy earlier on who did dial 999 and uh, if you were listening to that conversation earlier on, told her, told the operator that she was going to be murdered if they didn't come. Apparently, a squad car arrived at the gates, pushed the buzzer and just left. So, I don't know. I can't answer yeah, that. Take, take, take Hawk, for instance. The streets of Cork. I mean, you could go into Cork City seven days a week during daylight hours and there's been a lot of thoughts in Cork over the last 20 years and longer yeah and I, I know we're not I know that but we're they're sucker punches they're robbing someone none of that is right that's assault what with I'm, what I'm saying what I'm trying to say to you is that there's been no presence of Gardaí in our main city Center. No, but it's 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 not about having guards everywhere at all. It's about crime prevention units is written on where, like, and so where would you have yeah. had it on the canal? Uh, like the canal runs from I don't know the Midlands all the way to the port of Dublin. Like, how many guards do you need? This was this was during the afternoon. Um, it was a completely innocent place for somebody to be having a run. You can't have guards everywhere. Do you know there was an inspector? The guard he said that to me one time, and I phoned in about traffic lights in a major road being out and and the inspector of the Gardaí which was a female at the time woman she said to me the same thing do I want guards in every traffic lights in the in the country and I said no but I said this is a major road this is one of the major roads in car you know well. see that attitude is no good what I'm saying what I'm saying to you is that person the person who was supposed to have been followed on the bike Two hours before the murder was committed, if she had rang in, would there have been anything done about it? Would okay. you have sent a car? Okay.
All right, two questions there. One, should she have rang in um, and reported it? And secondly, if she had done, would the guards have responded? I don't know. The other, right. the other thing before you go... Yeah, i got to move on. Go ahead. Yeah. People have been on about self-defence courses and so on. You know? And you probably have a lot of people now taking up, especially women maybe, maybe men as well, because men can be as vulnerable as women. But self-defence is of no use if someone comes up behind you... Do you really think that men can be as vulnerable as women? Yes, they can. In yeah. certain circumstances, yes, but in all circumstances, yes. probably not. In a, I've heard you saying many times, Neil, that you've come across situations that you didn't get involved in, that you thought afterwards that you should have said at least said something, and you didn't. Mm. Do you understand me? You've said that in radio many times over mm. situations. Men can be as vulnerable as women. Not everybody's walking around six foot two, three mm. and a half, do I? Yeah. All right, my man. Listen, let, 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 let me move on. So finish up, yeah. What I'm saying to you is the self-defense courses, if someone comes up behind you and gives you a smack of a baseball bat or a hammer or something like that, the self-defense has gone out the door because you're underground, either unconscious or so stunned you can't do nothing anywhere. The best way for anybody, if they can, I repeat, if they can, is to scream as loud as they can and try to attract attention. Again, that's negated by somebody coming up, put a hand over your mouth. You may not be able to scream. Thanks, Pat. Lines open at one eight. Sorry, well, lines open at oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Yet another two stories today of the Gardaí in this country being absolutely useless. Um, yet you continually. Uh, hang on a second. Um, Yet two, yet another two stories today of the Guardian in this country being absolutely useless, yet you back them up every day and refuse to acknowledge that they are probably the worst law enforcement in the world. Um, it, it, they, that, these broad sweeping statements, like, okay, I want people to text, I really do, and I'll listen to everybody's opinions, but um, they're not the worst law enforcement um, force in the world. They clearly aren't, and an awful lot of them go to work every day wanting to do good. We, we all know that. I mean, maybe there's a section of society that will never, ever believe that. I think that there are mistakes made in all walks of life, in all professions. We all make mistakes. And I think that maybe there might be a portion of Gardaí, like there might be a portion of people in medical professions or in accountancy or in law or in business uh, that could be doing better or, or just coasting. But you can't just generalize against them all. I talk to many, many people down through the years who have... Uh, uh, cases investigated by the Gardaí, men and women, um, and they have nothing but praise for the Gardaí involved in it. I think there's an awful lot of um, frustration, say, for many, many Gardaí who are swamped now with paperwork, swamped with court time. And of course, GSOC hasn't, me- hasn't happened or hasn't helped many Gardaí who get threatened with it now uh, can have their career ended if all the P's and Q's and dots of the I's and crosses of the T aren't 100% right. Anyway, back after the break. Calls on the way. Calling Red FM Studio? Call the new number. 0818-104-106. And you can always email if you have a story to share, Neil, at redfm.ie. And I'll come back to emails, calls, and texts tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning. But uh, I want to chat with a great friend of mine and has been for many, many, many years, way back to the certainly the back end of uh, the 1970s. And that is a man who's been making the news, not just in the last week or so, but you'll recall that two years ago, Jack Briarley was much in the news uh, down Carrigaline Way 
because he took to the driveway on Saturday afternoons and then ended up doing even more than Saturday afternoons, playing a few songs on his piano to the delight of his neighbours in Carrigaline. And the press picked up on it, and I see photographs in an article in Cork Bio there recently. Oh, sorry, just at the weekend of, of Jack during the pandemic. And, of course, he's been playing piano for God only knows how long. Will we find out? Let's find out. Jack, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Fair play to you, boy. I, I know you were born in 31, down in Aurelia Terrace in Cove, um, yes. and went to national school and then secondary school and then to the tech. But you started playing, or at least taking lessons at the age of seven, was it? That's right. I was seven years of age when my my mum and my dad sent me over. The music teacher had only lived across the road from where I was living. <laughs> So they put me in, in for music lessons at the age of seven. Like Leo, Leo McMahon wrote a fabulous article in the Carrick Down, but I was only able to read the first half of it at the weekend, but I loved every single word of it. And from then on, it was all about piano. I mean, you held down jobs and stuff, but decided to go pro eventually, didn't you? I did. I did indeed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. decided to go pro in 1954 with the Regal Show Band. From Bantry. And so, what you would have been earning in Irish steel in a week, is it? Uh, or in, in jobs that you had, um, you were earning that kind of money and lots more. Were you, like, I know you were getting two pounds a gig or something at one stage when you were getting like two and six a week, was it? Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was working in Irish steel. And I started working in Irish steel in 1947. And uh, my wages were 15 shillings a week. Less one and eleven pence for a stamp. So I ended up with thirteen and thirteen shillings and a penny. Just the over a pound. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and if you played in the band you'd make two pounds on the night. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, so what did you think? There's good money to be had in this, is it? Well, there was enjoyment number one and um number two, well I said what the hell am I working for the whole week for thirteen shillings and if I get a gig for once a week in, in, in the ballroom, I nearly double that, like. It's incredible. And all through your life, up and, and up until this weekend, just gone, on Sunday yeah. afternoons, they said goodbye to you at Hayfield, didn't they? You played, they did, your, played yeah. your last few tunes at lunchtime, was it? It was. That, that was last Sunday. Yeah, they're lovely. They're lovely staff, especially John Burchill and Claire Hyde and all the rest of the lovely staff there. They're lovely. And they've treated me very well, and uh, I loved playing there. They want you to come back from time to time, but you'll be sad to to stop there, I suppose, will you? I'd love to go back from time to time. You know, the means would be lovely. It would. Somebody else's turn now. I don't want to start to give it up completely altogether, like you know. But yeah. um, I'd uh, I would love to go back now and again. For maybe some special occasion, yeah, something yeah, like that, yeah. you know. But you're taking it easier these days. I know you did. I know you were playing tunes during lockdown for the neighbours. They loved that. Yeah, yeah, they did. They, they, they didn't. They, I am taking it. I have a bit of a more mobility problem, Neil. And the, the old legs are the same as what they used to be. But so, you have that uh, electric jalopy under you now that gets you everywhere you need to be. I have, yeah. <laughs> what do you? You must be nineteen now, are you, Jack? I'm nineteen. Yeah, I was nineteen last July. Unbelievable. I've never seen anybody on a piano like you over the years. It's just, it's just an incredible thing to witness. Is that, is that, does that take, are you born with that kind of talent or is it practice? 
Oh, I think I was born with that meal, yeah, because my father played the piano as well. He was an, and also he was a drummer. And my uncle, Billy, he was a very good piano player as well. He used to play in, in Pat the Cellar Resident, in Pat the Cellar Hotel, many years ago. But there was, was an awful lot of travelling, though, wasn't there, Jack? There was. All over the country in the days of the uh, the ballrooms, for sure. Oh, I mean, you would have been out six... You would have been on... You would have been travelling six six nights a week, anyway. Oh, you would. You would, yeah. You did. Yeah. It was tough going, actually, Neil, because when I was... When I was at the legal show abandoned Bantry, I had to stay at Bantry. And then we'd leave Bantry, we'd say, at 12 o'clock in the daytime and maybe go up to Claremont or someplace or Castlebar. And you, you'd set up your gear and you'd do your gig and the gig then that time was five hours nine to two, nine to two. yeah no relief bands no, nothing and then you pack your wagon at two o'clock in the morning half two and head for Bentry now you, you were playing all of the hits of the day but I, I was reading I think it was in Leo's article or somewhere that you didn't need sheet music and you kind of didn't really need to, to practice it, it was almost a, a natural energy between all of the band members was that true? It is. It is. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It is. No, we did. We did use orchestrations as well. You know. Yeah. But uh, playing the hits of the day, we we just recorded the hit and and uh, played away. And what what music did you like playing, or do you like playing most of all? Is it jazz? I like jazz. I, do. I was always a jazz fan. What are you like, a Cole Porter fan, or, or who? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cole Porter, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett. Ella Fitzgerald, Oscar Peterson, you could go on and on. And that, that era, you know, the 40s and the 50s, I loved. And all of those melodies and all of those arrangements, are they all in your head? Yes. Is it, yes. Like, is it like muscle memory or something? <laughs> I suppose it's like little encyclopedia, if you like. It, it, it's all there and you, you play one tune and then you begin to think of another one that would... Um, fit in and try and do a little medley of them, you know? Amazing. Where did you meet Francis then? It was in the mid-50s, was it? I met Francis in uh, 19... With, I know, the mid-50s. 54. I don't know. I don't know. Was she? I don't know. Did she fancy you at all, or was it the Ford Anglia that she took a took a shine to? <laughs> <laughs> she probably preferred the Ford Anglia. <laughs> and lots. So I, of, met, I met I met Francis in the tower ballroom in Cove. Very there, and she used to come in with her sister. Her sister was a twin, Kathleen. But uh, that's where I, that's where we met. And you, so you know those houses in Cove. They 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 look like a a jumble of colours. I think they call them the deck of cards. Is that where you lived? I did twice. Yeah, we never number six Westview. We lived in. Yeah, it's called Westview. It's that's beautiful. The beautiful. It's more or less opposite the, the cathedral. Yeah. But then you're in yeah, Douglas so. now. Yeah, and then then Cargilline. Was that it? I um, yeah. We moved. We moved, and I tell you what happened. We got married and. Um, Fifty-eight, and I had a band. I, I, I had a, I had formed my own band, and because I wasn't living in Cork, I could not play in Cork unless a second band was on the stage as well. Go away. Yeah, that was the Federation of Musicians rule. Go away. So we, I said to Francis, we, we'll have to move from Cove, unfortunately, 
and we moved to Douglas. And you had well, a lot of kids. A lot of kids. We had, we had seven kids, seven lovely girls. Fantastic. And tell me, <laughs> what was the what was the highlight of your career? Well, I suppose the highlight would have been the Eurovision, uh, Neil, uh, when I wrote uh, Do I Dream for... Max, you did you did two. I wish I had more time, Jack. But you did two. You did mending my nets with Kinsale, which was an entry, yeah, and then Maxie came. Did she come eighth in the Eurovision? No, she, we we came. I think she we came tenth. Tenth. Yeah. All right. Have a listen to this, lads. If I'm dreaming, do not wake me. Never let my dream forsake me. I love you, and that is not a dream. Will this love go on forever? Could we share? Does the sun dance on the river? Come on, Jack. Does it sparkle? Does it quiver? Do I dream? Is my, I don't know, something about little hazy? Am I going a little crazy? Crazy. I know. It brings back happy memories, Neil. I got well done, man. I can remember it like as if it was yesterday. Happy day. You wrote that with, uh, was it one of the Crosbys? Yeah, it was George. George. Yeah, George Crosby, yeah. Amazing. As a matter of fact, we 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 had three songs in the in the national song contest altogether because I wrote Kinsale in 1968. In 1970, I wrote a song called Irish Love, which was sung by John McNally, which we came third. Dana won it that year. Yeah. And it, I wrote Do I Dream in 1973. And I got into the Eurovision Finals. And I didn't even touch on Tops of the Town because we were talking a lot about that uh, on the air last week. You were musical director for the Pottery in Caroline. They kept winning it, didn't they? <laughs> that was because of you. That's not really, no. No, no. Norm McCarthy was a lovely producer. He's a fine producer. Ah, uh, yeah, you're always putting yourself uh, in the background, Jack. It's the mark of the man, but... I think I, I think it's great catching up with you. I really wish I had more time because uh, you're one of the most wonderful people on the planet, and I think um, I'm delighted. I'm delighted to talk to you, Neil. And it's a pleasure catching up with you again. Um, you know, you're way too young for retiring, pal. Don't ever consider full time retirement. It wouldn't suit you. I suppose so. You're quite right there, actually, Neil. Uh, <laughs> all right. Look after yourself, Jack. All right. Uh, thanks a million, Neil. We'll catch God up bless. soon. The great Jack Briley, you really and truly won't meet a nicer, nicer guy. Mr. Music on Side, the great Jack. And it's, I, I also hear that Len McCarthy, the unbelievably talented international saxophonist, the sax player, Len McCarthy from Cork, he's got a new album out. Um, I'm not saying that he's anywhere near Jack's age, but he, he, he can't be too far off. Anyway, never too late. Uh, lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.